0: <laughs> Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss and get down on today in the world of sports. Namaste. What's happening? K-pasta, mi amigos. Miyamoui, Wendell Wallace. Konishiwa. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom. Wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on, a lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. We got the NBA to talk about. We got some NFL to talk about. We got my Georgetown Hoyas to talk about. We've got my special dedication for Black History Month going out to the great Malcolm X two days ago on this date, February 21st, 1965. He was murdered. He was assassinated 56 years ago plus two days as of this recording. So I want to go ahead. And I want to talk about that as far as my profiles with this month being Black History Month here in the racist, ignorant, selfish states of America. I want to go ahead. Normally throughout the uh, month, I profiled gay special dedication, talked about such athletes as Jack Johnson and Bill Russell and uh, Jim Brown and talked about Mary Wilson, the founding member of the Supremes when she passed away, talked about uh, Joe Louis so. For this one, going to veer off just a little bit, not talk about any sports figure in terms of what he did to move the culture, what he did to move society, the impact that he had on society for the better that we're feeling right now, that's going to be resident, that's going to still permeate decades and centuries from now, but uh, veering off from athletes who did that and going to be discussing uh, the greatest of them all in terms of uh, outside of my family the person who I idolize and revere the most, historical figure that I revere the most, the great Malcolm X. So I'll be talking about that once all of the sports that I want to talk about has been talked about. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. As I'm recording this podcast, it's early on a Tuesday afternoon. The news is still filing in about Tiger Woods being involved in a a car crash this morning in California about seven twelve a.m. According to his agent, from the little that I know, the fact that he's going to live—and really, I, I hate to say this—but in terms of my interest toward the story, once it learned, once I learned that he was going to live, that uh, he suffered, I believe, multiple uh, injuries to his legs. And That's what he's uh, having surgery on right now, as I record the podcast. The fact that he was going to live, I was like, all right, time for me to move on. I don't mean to sound sound callous. I don't mean to sound cold. But, uh, you know, Tiger Woods really doesn't mean that much to me. I know what he means to society. I know the impact that he has. I know what type of golfer that he has. But just to me, I have no real interest in terms of, you know, pouring out my emotions and fretting and reminiscing and... Deifying and all those type of things, Tiger Woods right now. Number one, he ain't dead. So the hours upon hours that the news coverage is going to be about, where they're going to be talking about this guy like he is dead, I think it's going to be something where it's like, all right, we really don't need to go there. And I just know I don't know him personally, but you know, I've I've seen enough of Tiger Woods, the human being, and how he uh, deals with certain things. That it's like, you know what? I'm I'm happy that he's alive. Thank God he's alive. Goodness gracious, I'm glad that he's alive, and I'm glad that he had the financial resources and the profile to uh, have the best chance to recover from this accident. So God bless, thank goodness for that. But I'm not going to sit up here and, you know, talk about what a wonderful human being he is, and he's such an awesome guy, and the impact that he's had on society, and blah, blah. I'm not going to do that. That's not going to do that at all. I, I know the type of impact that Tiger Woods has had on this society. And, um, really doesn't mean much to me that really doesn't mean much to my community really doesn't mean much so you know for other folks who want to go ahead and talk about this guy like you know he's uh he's something that he's not go ahead go for it but uh i'm not gonna do that i'm just happy that he's alive i'm just happy that uh he was the only one I, like i mentioned before didn't want anybody else in a situation like his children and anything like that, thank God that he's going to be alive. Thank God that he's going to be able to have the best resources available to heal himself, best physical, physical therapy. He doesn't have to worry about paying bills. He doesn't have to worry about a job. He doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff. So thank goodness for that. And hopefully, I mean, maybe this is something where Tiger Woods can use this to... uh become a better person and maybe uh, help out others. Maybe do something in terms of being more public about what he stands for, what he means and using his platform and using the impact that he's had as a golfer in that way. Basically, he's chosen to uh, reap all of the rewards of being Tiger Woods mainly for himself. That's his choice. That's fine. not going to uh, sit there and call the guy the worst human being in the world or something like that. But when you choose to do that, then don't expect me to sit there and, you know, oh my goodness, this is so horrible. My day is ruined. I'm glued to television about this. Don't expect me to do that when something like this happens to you. And again, I have to reiterate, I am thanking the Lord that he's going to survive, that he's going to live. It seems like he's not going to have any type of long-term debilitating injury from this, that he will recover in terms of being a guy who can do the everyday. He might not be the golfer, that he hopes to be, his career might be over as far as a golfer is concerned and all those type of things. But as of right now, I don't give a fuck about that. No one should care about that. Right now, it's all about getting Tiger Woods to be able to um, be living life the best of his ability, a normal everyday life to the best of his ability, being there for his children, being there for the people that care about him, being there to live a long, healthy life, being able to do the things physically uh, that every normal person can do without um, thinking twice about it. So that's my hope and my prayer for Tiger Woods. But no, I'm not going to sit here and you know wax on about what a, what a wonderful human being he is. I mean, I've never watched Tiger Woods play around the golf. Have no interest, don't care. And I understand the importance of Tiger Woods being one of the greatest golfers of all time and the impact that he's had and all this type of thing. That's great. To me, he means nothing in terms of the Impact that he's had on certain parts of uh, my community that I care about. So, you know, whatever. Moving on to the next thing. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us now. Let me get to what I want to talk about. One thing I will say this before I move on. Because I want to get this out of the way, too. Because I was watching a tad of the coverage of Woods before I came on and recorded today. And I heard the name Kobe Bryant. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, with 2021, please don't let this be a situation where, you know, like we're so, this is around the same time last year of what happened to Kobe and this, that, and the other. Stop. Stop. Fucking stop right there. Okay? Don't go there with that bullshit. Tiger Woods is going to live. Tiger Woods is going to be able to play with his children. Tiger Woods is still going to be around, I mean, God willing. But Because of this accident, Tiger Woods is not dead, okay? Kobe died. Not only did Kobe Bryant die, his daughter died also. And, and along with seven other people, some of them being children, died in that horrific accident, okay? So let's not even go there. Let's not even acquaint. Let's not even mention the name Kobe Bryant When speaking about Tiger Woods, don't, I don't give a fuck what avenue you're going. I don't care what box you're trying to fit it in, what type of analogy. Stop, 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 stop. You know what they say? Don't ever, don't ever use the word Hitler. You know, you ever heard that before? If you're going to be complaining, athletes might say this. Athletes, don't ever use the term Hitler. Don't ever bring up, conjure up the name Hitler. And don't compare what you're doing to a war. Man, this game this game is going to be a war. This fight is going to be a war. Man, we're going to go out there and we're going to battle. Don't ever. I hate when athletes do that shit. No, what you guys are doing is not war. Okay, because the last time I checked, no one is going to be leaving a tennis court. No one's going to be leaving a baseball field. No one is going to be leaving a basketball arena. God, hopefully, no one's going to be leaving a football field dead. And the object of the game that you're going to be playing is not to murder the other guy or kill the other guy. So please, when athletes start talking about this is going to be a war, this is going to be a battle, we're soldiers, any type of connotation that it turns to uh, the, you know, fighting a war, stop, 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 stop. Okay? And the only reason why I bring that up is once again, bringing it all the way back to Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is still living. Kobe Bryant and his child, along with other family members or other people who were in that plane, they are gone. They are dead. They are either cremated in the ground, in heaven or in hell, whatever you believe. All right? So let's stop with the analogy. Let's stop bringing up Kobe Bryant with Tiger Woods. I heard that on ESPN. I'm not going to say the person who said it because I think she's fantastic I love listening to her. She's very good at what she does. So I'm not going to... I don't want to... You know, I don't want to go there with that. But I would just be like, no, 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 no. You know, coming close to Kobe and what happened to him. No, 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 no. no. If Tiger Woods going to live? Yeah, then don't mention Kobe Bryant. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Now, let's move ahead and let's talk about what's happening in the silly games that they play called sports, where winning and losing doesn't mean... Someone dies, someone gets injured or something like that, unless it's it's combat fighting. So, the NBA season started already. Your thoughts and opinions about what the NBA season has been so far? We're halfway past the quarter mark. Had an opportunity to watch most of the teams play multiple times. Yes, even the bad ones. And uh, so far, I guess the word that I can use to... uh, described the NBA so far has been meh, I'm glad that it's, I'm glad that it's happening. You know, I'm glad that it's going on. But, you know, as of right now, it's been meh, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, some frustrating things to be expected because of the short turnaround, because of COVID, because of all of those things, I understand I mean, glass half full. The NBA is on. The NBA has, it's playing. LeBron is still doing his thing. Luca's starting around in the shape. Damian Lillard has been unbelievable. The Lakers and the Clippers look like they're headed toward a collision course in the Western Conference Finals. Giannis is still being Giannis. Uh, the Harden trade going to Brooklyn has, um, you know, put the uh, NBA on its ear in terms of, like, the entertainment value on the offensive side of the ball. KD is back, even though he's been in and out of the lineup because of injury and load management. So there's a lot of great things going on in the NBA in terms of if you want to say the glass is half full. Um, hmm, let me see what else is there you know, Joel Embiid it, like, it looks like the light is finally turned on for him and he's playing at an MVP level Nikola Jokic has stepped up and he's playing near an MVP level it's nice to see the centers uh, return even though there's only two that have been playing at an exceptional level mainly Embiid and Jokic and the fact that those two guys are in the running to become the first centers to win the MVP since Shaq did it almost, what, 20, 20-something, 20 25, 30 years ago, somewhere around there, 20 years ago, somewhere around there. So that's a that's a nice thing to be thinking about, the fact that the centers now are back into the games just a little bit, even though it's not like it was in the 80s, not like it was in the 70s or the 60s. And really, when you think about the, boy, do we miss the big men? Boy, do we miss the dominant NBA center? There's only been a small number of what we would call, quote-unquote, dominant big men. I mean, even if you take a look back, I mean, George Mikan was the biggest guy around back when the Minneapolis Lakers were winning their championships, and he was the guy that kept the league afloat, afloat and brought it up a level. The big man from uh, the University of the Paul, he was the first, you know, superstar of the league. Big man, 6'10". Then Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, they had their battles. But if you think about it, even in an 18 league, you had Walt Bellamy, you had others. But for the most part, the league was run by the two big men, namely Wilt Chamberlain, and Bill Russell. So those were two. So even when you started moving on and you got into the Kareem's and you got into the Bob Laniers and you got into the artist Gilmores and you got into the Robert Parrishes and you got into those type of, of uh centers. I mean, those guys weren't super-duper stars. Of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was, but what I'm talking about, I mean, Bob Lanier is not going down as an all-time great top 10 NBA center. Artis Gilmore is not going down as an all-time great NBA top-tier center. Dave Cowens, a Hall of Famer at 6'8". is not going down as a top-tier Hall of Famer. So even throughout the 70s, you had Kareem standing at the top of the mountain. Bill Walton was there for just a little bit, but foot injuries and other injuries cost him the prime years of his basketball uh, life shelf life so he really didn't make the impact that he could have especially after what he did with the portland trailblazers leading them to a championship nate thurman you know he was at the back end of his career when he won a championship with rick barry and the golden state warriors in the 70s but he was a guy in the 60s who you would be considered an elite center but as i keep naming them i'm not going through like 10 15 great centers at any period of time in the NBA, even if you take a look at the '80s, yet yeah, you had Elijah Wan, yet yeah, you had my man Patrick Ewing, yet yeah, you had my man David Robinson, but other than that, who else are we going to go to in terms of them being an elite, um, you know, being a, a plethora of elite centers in the league? You really couldn't. And I think that we equate, you know, Elijah Wan, Ewing, David Robinson, when they were doing their thing, when they were at the top of the mountain, as going on the assumption that the whole league was just every every team or most of the teams had themselves like a really big quality, uh, quality big man who was, uh, you know, you put him in today's game would just be averaging 35 points and 25 rebounds. No, that's not the case. That never was the case. So this narrative about where, you know, the NBA big man, where have you gone? Where have you gone? Well, the NBA big man has been found. In fact, we found him, found him in not just one force, but two in the forest of Eastern Europe, Nikola Jokic, and in the forest of uh, Africa. Are there any forests in Africa, by the way? Where they uh, found Joel Embiid, imported them over, and there we go. There we go. So it's nice to see those guys uh, making a comeback, I guess you could say, public relations-wise for the centers in the NBA. So the glass half full, hey, those are some great things that you can say about the NBA this season. Hip, hip, hooray. If you're a pessimist, if you're a glass half empty guy, you take a look and you say, well, number one, the defense has been absolutely, positively, undeniably horrendous. Games, many games look like glorified summer league pickup games down at the Drew or NBA All-Star games. If you don't like NBA All-Star games because they don't play any defense for the first couple of weeks, you wouldn't have liked the Brooklyn Nets. You wouldn't have liked the Washington Wizards. You wouldn't have liked the Chicago Bulls. Because they played no defense, I mean none whatsoever, or very little. And that's, you know, a myriad of things because of the short off season, Players changing teams, new coaches coming in at certain locations. Not really enough time for teams to gel as quickly as they should. Now, as the season is starting to wear out, you know, to go along, the Nets are playing better defense. The Wizards winning five in a row. Five in a row. They've turned it around and played much better defense. The Chicago Bulls. Three of the biggest culprits once the season started of teams who weren't playing any defense. You could throw Sacramento in there. You could throw a couple of other teams in there. Cleveland now has been horrendous on defense uh, over the, this long losing streak that they've had. But, you know, when you're bringing in a new system and you're bringing in new players and you're not practicing because of, you know, COVID-related issues and You know, just the season being as condensed as it is, playing only 72 games, having to get this thing done by May 22nd, the lack of a um, short training camp, it's no wonder that a team, say, like the Utah Jazz, who brought back a majority of their players, are doing so well, not only in the record books, but also in terms of the uh, defense is concerned. Defense won championships, baby. Even still in the NBA. That moniker might be put to the test as Brooklyn continues to gel and get better and learns how to play a little bit more Defense, but uh, yeah, teams like the Utah Jazz, who have the best record in the league right now, there's no coincidence that they were the team that also brought back the majority of their uh, of their squad of their core group. So there's a reason why the defense has been so horrendous, but doesn't make it any better. The fact that you watch a game and it's just like, geez, man, are y'all gonna guard anybody? I remember watching the first week of uh, NBA League Pass, and I watched the Bulls play. I don't know if they played Charlotte, but they were playing somebody. And, and, and Zach Levine was playing no defense. I mean, no defense. And when I mean no de- I mean, he wasn't even trying, it looked like. It was like, okay, you catch the ball. Here's the right side for him. Okay, go right by me. Okay, whatever. Here we go. Hurry up and score so I can get the ball back because I need to score 30 tonight. Hurry up and score. I mean, it was atrocious. What uh, the Bulls were putting out there on the floor in terms of the defensive effort. But they've gotten better, and how about that? They're starting to turn things around as far as winning basketball games. How about that? What a shock. What a surprise. Dallas, they thought Dallas, you know, bringing in Josh Richardson, kind of moving towards more of a balance between offense and defense. Never going to be 50-50. Especially when you have Porzingis. Especially when you have um, Luca who will never be plus defenders, but you know, you let someone like Seth Curry go, who was a below average defender, and you're bringing someone like a Josh Richardson from the Philadelphia 76ers. He was supposed to be a guy that was going to uh, provide defensive intensity and a defensive improvement to what the Mavs were putting down because of COVID and other things dealing with that. He hasn't had an opportunity to really let his presence be felt. So there's no surprise that you take a look at these... uh, Teams who are struggling and some of the teams who are doing well, and you take a look and you say, what's the uh, main correlation here? Oh, teams that play a little bit of defense are doing well. The teams that aren't playing any defense at all are struggling. And again, a lot of that has to do with the short amount of time spent in training camp, the inability to practice on a regular basis. There's no such thing as, um, there's no such thing as, you know, making adjustments or anything like that because there's just no practice time. It's just on, on the one game to the next to the next. And I mentioned before with COVID, um, the main thing is just to get those guys out on the court. There's already been 30 games missed because of COVID-related issues. The San Antonio Spurs have missed about a week of uh, games because four of their players came down with COVID. The Washington Wizards, I believe they were off for a couple of weeks because of COVID-related issues. So, I mean, this is something where it's like, until they get the vaccine or whatever's going to be happening. They're kicking, you know, let's just see what we can do to get to uh, May, and let's see what we can do to crown the champion, and let's see what we can do to field an NBA squad or to field an international team of NBA players to go over to participate in the Olympics in the, in the summer, and we'll be good. So, you know, that's one of the things with the NBA. If you're a glass-empty guy, it's about, damn, man, are y'all going to play any type of flipping defense? I watched... The uh, I watched the Nets play the Wizards. I think I mentioned this on a podcast when I did this. That was one of the worst games I think, I think I've ever seen. Because there was nobody playing defense. And you think, I think the Wizards won that game like 150 to 147 in regulation. 150 to 147 or 148 to 145. It was somewhere around that number. And it's like, wait a minute. I haven't seen a score like that in a regular season game. or I haven't seen a score like that in a 48-minute NBA game since a couple of All-Star games ago. And I watched that game twice. And it was like, the second time I watched it, I was more appalled and and disgusted the second time than I did the first time. Because you think of a score like that, and you're like, man, that must have been awesome, that must have been great. Not if you were a guy who's like, man, could y'all try a little bit on defense? Just a little bit. I'm not one of these... You know, old-timers who sit there and say, yeah, back in my day, you know, nothing pleased me more. Nothing got me erection more. Like a game where it was 78 to 74. woo No, I'm not one of those. I enjoy points. I love to see a great 115, 112, 122, 117 type of game. But man, play a little defense. Show that you care. So glass half empty. You could take a look at the league and say, man, When are y'all going to start playing defense or when is defense going to start kicking in even a little bit more? Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening so far in the NBA this season, players missing games because of COVID protocols, load management injuries. Again, I'm beyond shocked, and I guess this is evidence number one that LeBron is going strong for the MVP award. I'm shocked that LeBron is playing as many games as he's played, but in terms of load management is concerned and players missing because of injury or COVID-related, it, it's been frustrating. That's one of the things about the NBA in terms of over the last couple of years, this quote-unquote load management. I don't give a damn if you load manage, but damn, do you have to do it on a, on a ESPN um, Saturday night primetime game or a Sunday primetime game? Or do you have to do it when you're playing against one of the elite teams in the NBA? Is that when you're going to have to go ahead and sit one of your superstars? When I'm jonesing and juicing to see a a matchup that's going to be quite tasty? That the uh, coach on the other team is going to sit that player out because of quote-unquote load management? Or he's nursing uh, an injury right now? It's kind of been that way so far with some of the marquee games that were compromised because of injuries or COVID-related issues. The Los Angeles Clippers... When they played the Utah Jazz last Wednesday, playing without Paul George and Kawhi, I was all ready to watch that game, man. I was like, okay, here's a good chance. Utah's been running through everybody. They're beating everybody by 58 points. They're, you know, they're doing this. They're the 1971-72 Lakers, the 1967-68-66, they're the 1966-67 Philadelphia 76ers, then the 1995-96 Chicago Bulls all rolled into one in terms of them just dominating, beating up uh, 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 foes. Okay, you might be able to do that against some of the lesser tier squads. Now we're gonna see how legit the Golden State the uh, Utah Jazz are, because now they're gonna be going up against one of the better teams in the NBA, one of the best teams in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Clippers. And now we're gonna find out if the duo of Rudy and Demich can go ahead and stand up against PG and Kawhi Leonard, so I can't wait to play this game. What? Say what? Kawhi and Paul George ain't playing? God damn it, man. What in the fuck? So that's one of those deals. You get yourself juicing and Jones in the go, and then situation is where they don't play. Philadelphia, when they played against Utah the other night, I think it was a Tuesday night. I know it was on, was it on TNT? I think it was TNT. I think it was. The Tuesday night game, Philadelphia versus Utah. Hey, man, Joel Embiid versus Rudy Gobert, two of the, another center. Another center. I'm sorry, Rudy. Uh, uh pardon pardon, pardon monsieur Monsieur Gobert from Paris, France. I mean he's emerged as one of the uh players for consideration in the MVP what he's done on the defensive end. So I was again, you're speaking about where's the centers, where's at the centers, where is the, the centers? I was ready to see Joel go up against um, Rudy Gobert. What? Embiid, set out that game because I think he tweaked his back or he was dealing with back issues. So, you know, Doc set him out. God damn, God damn, God damn. It was nice to see Ben Simmons go for 40, but I would have loved to see that um, clash between the uh, two centers going head-to-head, two of the three best centers in the league, Gobert and Embiid. And this is not something where it's going to be Eastern to Eastern Conference here. I mean, we only get this opportunity one more time to see those two go up against each other. We only see it twice a year, and one of the opportunities we get to see those two go up against each other, we were robbed of that opportunity because Embiid didn't play against uh, the Jazz on that Tuesday night. So, you know, Brooklyn playing without Kevin Durant in the game against the Lakers and the Clippers. Anthony Davis not playing. He's, he's out, so he didn't play in those matchups. Dennis Schroeder didn't play in those matchups. So it's, it's a situation where, okay, it's nice to see that the Brooklyn Nets went on that road trip and they beat the Lakers and beat the Clippers, and that Clippers uh, victory was uh, legit. But how legit was that win against the Lakers? KD wasn't playing for you guys, and Anthony Davis and Schroeder, and I believe somebody else in that rotation, wasn't playing for the Lakers. So what can we assess of that game? What can we take away from that game? How can we take a look at Brooklyn and talk about them in terms of going up against some of the uh, better ranked squads in the NBA, especially if we're speaking about a possible preview of the NBA Finals. Well, it would have been nice if uh, KD would have been playing. And look, Anthony Davis tearing his Achilles or, you know, messing up his Achilles or, you know, um, injuring his Achilles, being out four to six weeks. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just the way it goes on that situation. But again, it's like, these guys only play twice, twice a year. So when the Lakers go on their Eastern Conference swing and they go to Brooklyn, what's going to be happening? Who, who's going to be out? Should I get myself, should I go ahead and take a look at the calendar and find out when Brooklyn's going to be playing LA? When LA is going to be going down to the Barclays Center? Should I t- take a look at that and already start getting my enthusiasm riled up to see KD versus LeBron? Boy, that's a matchup that we haven't seen in a while. And I was really looking forward to it, but KD. So those are the things, glass half-empty type of deal. Wizards missed multiple games due to postponement earlier this season. San Antonio had a week worth of games postponed last week because of uh, the situation. So those are just some of my takeaways. Hey, man, you take the good with the bad, right? Nothing can be perfect. Not everything can be horrible. So, I mean, you just take the good with the bad. depending upon what your... Uh, your, your um, fever is depends on uh, how much you love the NBA depends if you're just willing to say you know what I I know I know LeBron and I know I know um, I know I know uh, uh, Luca and a couple of other guys but I mean do you take any interest in watching say uh, the Charlotte Hornets play they're a pretty good team to watch especially now with LaMelo Ball does that does that interest you if you're maybe just a lukewarm NBA fan? Are you a guy who's going to choose, for instance, if you are an NBA fan that's like, yeah, I man, I'll watch LeBron play KD. There's nothing going to supersede that. You know, there's nothing going to uh, stop me from saying that game. Oh, but they're not playing so KD's out. Okay, never mind. Like, are you sophisticated enough? Are you interested enough? Are you a fan enough to be worked up and excited about a possible matchup between Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert? Like, that's the so the, the jazz the, the, who cares about the jazz I, mean, I like the Knicks, I like the Nets I like the Lakers, I like the Clippers I like the, the the Mavericks you know, teams that are in actual real cities, Utah what? so are you one of those fans? so that that uh, determines your perception about what the league has been so far this year Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us so I mentioned before about the vaccine for these uh, for the NBA. Adam Silver has said many times, "Look, we're not going to jump the line. We're not going to go ahead and say because we're the NBA and we need to get these games in, these players are more important than the average everyday uh, person." Okay, I get that, but Adrian Wojnarowski, the great Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, he um, wrote a story about how players are now hesitant. NBA players are hesitant about taking the vaccine. And what a source told him and told ESPN that many of the NBA top players are expressing apprehension about accepting invitations to participate in league-sponsored public service announcements to bolster broader acceptance of the coronavirus. You've seen these, right? Right? Haven't you seen these on television in between the NBA games? Agents and players told ESPN that they're apprehensive about receiving the vaccine because of their mistrust of this country, all right, to do the right thing for black people. You know, we bring up the Tuskegee experiment and all this type of thing. There's been histories, histories. There's only one histories. There's only, <laughs> there's been history. There's been a um, mountain of evidence of how black folks have been used as guinea pigs to see if this works, to see if that works. So NBA players, predominantly them being black, especially if we're speaking about the superstars in the league, that those of influence are like, eh, you know what? Feel a little bit uh, awkward. Feels a little bit out of place if I'm going to go ahead back down to my community and talk about, yeah, you guys need to get this. You guys need to do this. I'm doing this. Number one, they don't want to be, you know, if they're not comfortable in terms of me getting the vaccine, what it's going to do for me because of the color of my skin. But also, they don't want to fake the backlash from my community saying, man, what are you selling out for, huh? You know what these white folks are going to be doing to us in terms of uh, giving us the vaccine and we don't know what's going to be happening. We don't know what's going to be uh, the we don't know what's going to be the outcome of this. I mean, there's no like given proof. There's no like 100% no doubt about it that if we take this vaccine not once but twice that will be fine. Why are you telling us to do this LeBron? Why are you telling us to do this D-Wade? Why are you telling us to do these things? Huh? 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 Why? Why Steph? Why Draymond? Why? Are you selling out? White man's got you uh, on a short leash, I see, huh? So it's those type of things that I think players take a look at and it's like, yeah, I'll pass. And with D-Wade, yeah, I know he's retired, but he's still a guy of influence. So it's like, you know what? You take a look at Steph and you take a look at Kyrie and you take a look at KD and you take a look at uh, LeBron, who, you know, is not afraid to uh, talk about anything. You put a microphone in front of his face and ask him a question. So You know, those guys are a little bit, hey, you know what? There's a little bit of uh, apprehension in terms of, I don't want the backlash. And what will the backlash do for my brand? I mean, especially when we're we're talking about my community. You know, LeBron saying what he says and players taking stances and doing all those type of things toward uh, oppression and discrimination and police brutality. Those things are fine. But, you know, because those things, you know, the black community sitting up there saying, oh, yeah, man, go ahead. Go ahead. Say what you got to say, man. Kneel what you got to kneel. Those type of things. But when they might feel that there's going to be some backlash from those who can invite them to the barbecue. And all of a sudden now, you know, community. You want to be known as a sellout? As a community. You want to be known as one of those guys? You want to be the next Herschel Walker in training? You want to be that house Negro? You want to be that clown? You want to be that buffoon? You want to be that Uncle Tom? You want to go down that route? That's, I'm saying, that's what I... I guarantee you, with some of those players who once again, who are protecting their brand, protecting their name, protecting their ability to go ahead and promote themselves, I'm quite sure that that conversation has been made. I'm not saying that's the main reason why. I'm not saying that's at the forefront, but I am saying if you're Chris Paul or if you're someone like that, I'm quite sure that conversation has been, has been, uh, discuss and it's come up that topic has been come up it might lead to chris ball saying man fuck that bullshit man i'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna do this anyway but i'm quite sure because of uh the influence that our community that my community that the black community has on these guys especially because that's where those guys came from that also plays in a role if you're gonna be telling a bunch of black people who don't trust the government go ahead and trust the government especially if you're a black and you're rich wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us so you see these psa's right to promote the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine. Bill Russell did one. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did one. I hear that Julius Irving is going to start doing them. The great, great Popovich also went ahead and did that. So, you know, I, I, it's, I mean, I don't know. I've said this before. I can understand the leeriness. I haven't gotten a shot yet. If it means, you know, me seeing my mother, I haven't seen her in almost two years and where she's living right now, you know, in the in the in place for the elderly. I don't know if they're going to have to uh have me take a shot for me to go see her or for me to you know be she she's already taken the first vaccine vaccine shot. So, you know, once she takes the second one, I'm going to go on the assumption that she's now immune to receiving the virus. So, even if I am a guy who, you know, I I don't I don't know. I I haven't had any symptoms of the coronavirus. I don't know if I'm asymptomatic. I don't know what I am. I mean, I know I'm a man. I know I'm incredibly intelligent. And I know that I'm super duper movie star, good looking, great. But I, as far as me being asymptomatic, joking, as far as me be as being asymptomatic, uh, you know, I don't or I don't know. I don't know. So if folks tell me, hey, you know what? You need to get a shot to go see your mom. I'm taking a shot. I'll take a shot in about 15 seconds. I'll, you know, end this podcast right now, quite sure people listening to this podcast are like, really? Oh, you, you, you would really do that? You're going to end it? Please, 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 please? I'm saying, jackasses, that if, you know, if, if it meant me seeing my mom and I had to take the vaccine, hell yeah, I'll end this right now. I'll go to wherever I need to go to get the vaccine to go see my mom. If it means, you know, if work, where I'm working now, the Clark County School District, if they make the uh, decision or a rule to say that, you know, teachers need to, uh, become vaccinated to, uh, be able to work for, uh, the school district. Yeah. I have no choice. I'm going to go ahead and get the, uh, get the shot. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but as I mentioned before with this, me getting the shot, I'm not going to West Las Vegas to get the shot. I'm not going down to uh, Lake Mead and Pecos. I'm not going down to Owens and Lamb Boulevard to get those shots. no, I'm going up to Summerlin, baby. I'm going down to Southern Highlands. That's where I'm going to. I don't care if I have to drive drive up to Mesquite and hang out with the Mormons to get my shots. I'll, if that's what I'm going to do, if I'm going to have to get the shots, that's exactly where I'm going because I also do not trust the government when it comes to this. But I also know that I need to get this vaccine if I need to do certain things. So to better my chances, I'm going to go where this country has a lower opportunity or has a lower percentage of screwing with people, fucking with people. And in this country, who is this or What type of of folks are not going to be fucked with in this country the most? Rich, really rich white folks. So I'm going to go up to the Summerlin area. I'm going to go up to the uh, 9,000 block up there on uh, Tropicana and Flamingo in and, and, um, Sahara, in Charleston. I'm, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to go up to the gated communities. I'm going to go up, up there, and I'm going to wait in line. I want to find out where those folks are getting the shots, and I'm going to wait in line. And I'm going to be like, uh, excuse me, uh, do you see that? Uh, you, that uh, let, me, let me see that needle you're using. Let me see what you're going to be giving me here, because I'm going to make sure that the same type of shit you gave that person right there is the same thing that you're giving me. Because the person that was in line right in front of me was an old, rich, really white guy. So I know y'all ain't going to fuck with him. So give me that same type of vaccine you gave him. And there you go. I ain't going down to West Las Vegas. No, no, no. Because I don't trust the government. I don't trust that shit. So that's where I'm going to be going. So for these NBA stars, I will say this, you know. The, the, the NBA and now Adam Silver, the commissioners, come out and he's trying to add some caveats and incentives for uh, general managers or organizations, franchises to try to convince their players to go ahead and take the vaccine. Now, if, for instance, LeBron, AD, let's just take the Lakers, for instance, if the starting five, mainly LeBron and AD are like, OK, we'll go ahead and take the vaccine. We'll do it. We'll take the vaccine. How much are the Lakers going to be begging and pleading, pleading? um, um, You know, Kyle Kuzma or Alice Caruso to take the uh, shot. I I think the NBA when they're like trying to incentivize teams to uh, go ahead and take the shots, I think they're trying to incentivize the superstars. That's what I think that they're trying to do. The money makers, the people the players who are musty watching. So if you're the Brooklyn Nets, if you're the NBA and you go to the Brooklyn Nets, yeah, we would really love it if Kyrie, KD, and James Harden would take this vaccine. We really would. And if those guys said, you know what, all right, we'll go ahead and do this. We've done our research and we've done this and we've done that. We'll go ahead and do that. Then guess what? The Bruce Bowens of the world, eh, if you want to take it, fine. If not, you know, whatever. Just you know, keep can, just keep doing what you're doing, and turn as the protocols are concerned, and you know we'll 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 be good. So the commissioner has told general managers that the process could be incentivized for teams and individuals with the loosening of quarantine and testing protocols for those vaccinated. Well, of course, which of course would you know be consistent with CDC recommendations. So. Again, I think this is at the NBA where it's kind of like, yeah, we would love we would love to have all of the players get vaccinated. But more importantly, especially when the playoff times comes that uh, we need to have the superstars vaccinated because we don't want to be in a game 6 in the NBA finals where it's the Lakers versus the uh, Brooklyn Nets and all of a sudden Kyrie, KD and LeBron come down with the uh, COVID and they need to, and they need to uh, miss a couple of games or they ran afoul of the NBA protocol. And because of that, they need to be quarantined for a little while because they might be in contact. They might've been in contact with someone who tested positive for the virus, or might've tested positive for the virus, or tested positive and we're waiting for another test to make sure that they're positive, positive, instead of positive, negative. All that, all that bullshit can be thrown out the fucking window if LeBron and the superstars and others go ahead and take this vaccine and we don't have to worry about that shit. So we'll see. We'll see. But look, the, the league is concerned about an outbreak during the playoffs. They start May 22nd with the, again, with FIBA, the Olympics coming up that summer. It's going to be a quick turnaround from crowning an NBA champion to going ahead and going over to Japan and start playing in the Olympics. So we, we need to have this stuff like, you know, to the T. We can't be postponing games and we can't be, we can't be postponing Playoff games, conference finals games, and especially NBA finals games, because I'm also quite sure you have advertisers and TV folks and partners that you need to uh, answer to also. So we need to get that done. And look for LeBron and those guys. I mean, st- stop, stop with the you know we don't know you know because we don't trust the government because we black type of things. Look, I understand. I understand. Racism, oppression, and all those type of things, you know, just because LeBron is rich doesn't mean that white bigots, that white racists, that white ignorant folks, white folks who are cloaked in white privilege are going to all of a sudden see LeBron a little bit differently. To them, LeBron James is still going to be a nigger. For for those folks, LeBron James is still going to be a guy who didn't deserve what he got. That LeBron James is just some genetic freak who just is in this position because of of uh, of uh, his athletic ability and because of this country bending over backwards to give black folks something that they don't deserve, which is opportunities. That he really didn't earn it, it was only because God bestowed upon him these unbelievable gifts that to be 6'8", six, 6'9", six, 260 pounds, an unbelievable athlete who can shoot and who can dunk and who can dribble and who can do all those type of things. You know, if you're a, a white nationalist, if you're a white bigot, if you're a white racist, that's the way that you look at these coddled, out-of-touch NBA players. These guys with no education. The only reason why they got to where they were was because of the physical gifts that God bestowed upon them. So it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are. I get it. I understand it. You're no good. in, In some people's mind, too many people's mind, from across the tracks, and even from my community, you're still nothing more than a nigger compared with those guys, no matter what you do. So LeBron and those guys, I get it. I'm not trying to say that wealth and being a public figure and being popular and being a role model, that makes you immune to racism and discrimination and bigotry and all those type of things. I'm not saying that. But also, fellas, come on, man, let's get real. Let's get real. You guys have a lot more advantages than some poor, some, than poor black folks. Come on, man, you know it. You know it. You know it, you know it, you know it. In fact, those guys have advantages over rich folks because of who they are, because of their status in this country, their, their, their image, their public figure. Come on now. You're talking about LeBron James. You're talking about these NBA basketball players, some of these guys who are stars. Man, when it comes to the getting the vaccine, come on now. You, you know that you guys are a lot at a lot lesser risk of getting screwed with and say, the person in the black community who was barely getting by, for those who are living in poverty, for those who are looked upon as irrelevant, for those who just don't care. Come on now. Come on. Come on. All you guys, you guys know that. You guys know that. You think that you know, Jalen Brown, Boston, uh, and uh, Jason Tatum, come on now. You, you really think? that the Boston Celtics are going to do you wrong in terms of the, of the vaccine? You really think so? You really think uh the Brooklyn Nets with Harden, Kyrie, and KD, you really think that the Brooklyn Nets are going to steer you wrong? That the Brooklyn Nets are going to say, screw it, let's go ahead and fuck with KD and Kyrie and James Harden's health because we just don't like black people. You, you, you really think that you guys are going to face those same obstacles? That you have those same fears? Come on now. Come on, don't blame me like that. And before I go to a break, let me, let me, I, I need to know something right now. This is, I'm speaking to my community right now. Here's what I don't understand. It's not a criticism. I just need to know. I just need some clarity because we sit there and rightfully so we say, well, you know, with the vaccine. We don't want the vaccine. We don't trust the vaccine. You know, this country, the way that it's dealt with us before, we really aren't quite sure that we're going to be, you know, gung-ho to receive the vaccine. So, you know, there's some apprehension toward that. Understood, understood me being a black man, understood. But with that being said, If they bring it down to the community and y'all say you don't want it, they say, fine, we're going to go ahead and take it to another community where the people are going to want it. Then the black community can't sit up there and start yelling and screaming about, well, how come we're not getting the vaccine? I don't get that. Well, if you guys aren't going to take the vaccine because you're apprehensive about taking the vaccine because you don't trust the people who are coming up with the vaccine, how can you guys then be complaining about the fact that you guys aren't getting the vaccine? Now, if I haven't heard any logical reason for that. Now, if there's some other avenue that I'm not going down where it's like, no, we have been saying what we want the vaccine. No, we have been saying that we need the vaccine. No, we will take the vaccine. We will take the vaccine, but yet and still they haven't brought the vaccine down to the community for us to uh, get vaccinated. Okay. Now that's another story. That's another story. That's another, you know, that's another thought process that we need to go into. But from my understanding, and again, this ain't a criticism on the black community. This ain't a criticism on the white community. This ain't a criticism on anybody. I'm just asking the question because I hear it. I don't want the vaccine. I don't trust the vaccine. This vaccine, you know, white folks do what's wrong, did that, and the other. If I'm white folks, I'm like, well, okay, if you don't want the vaccine, then we're not going to give you the vaccine. Well, why aren't you giving us the vaccine? What? So I need to find out exactly what's happening, what's going on here. Now, black folks being the monolith. We're not a monolith, so there's not like one person talking for us. I'm quite sure there's plenty of black folks in other black communities who are like, nah, fuck that, man. We want the vaccine. What the hell are y'all talking about? We'll take that. Now that Tuskegee experiment shit for polio that happened a long time ago. We you know we we come a long way since then, man. That's been Jim Crow. That was talking about where you could where you could kill a Negro and get away with it. I mean, you know, that's when they were burning buildings and all that type of bullshit, and you know, like you know, burning churches and all that type of stuff. You know, civil rights stuff. I mean, you know. MLK and Malcolm X and Medgar Evers and all those guys—they died for us to have the ability to take that vaccine. So fuck yeah, bring that back, vaccine down to the community. There are black communities. There are black folks, black folks who think like that. Either they need to be more vocal, or, or I don't know, CNN, MSNBC, somebody, you know, PBS NewsHour, somebody. They need to uh, get on these programs and start talking about now. Nah, hey, yeah, uh-uh, we never said anything about we don't want the vaccine. What are y'all talking about? Them, those are my, those are my brothers and sisters from somewhere else. That's their opinion. My opinion. Now nah, you bring that down to my community. And we'll uh, we'll definitely take it. So that's the one thing I, I don't understand. So look, I mean, Le- 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 LeBron. If LeBron decided to go down and uh, get the vaccine, he ain't going down to Inglewood. Okay. You know he he ain't going to uh, East L.A. All right. I mean he he ain't going to some gang infested area. Okay. He's gonna be if LeBron is gonna be getting the vaccine, if AD is gonna be getting the vaccine, if any of them Lakers are gonna be getting the vaccine of color, they're gonna be going to a place in Beverly Hills. They're gonna be going to a place where you know it's gonna be a okay. You know KD and Kyrie aren't going to aren't going to Best Buy to uh to uh get the uh, vaccine if they need to take it. You know what I'm saying? You know, the, uh, the, the the Chicago Bulls players, they ain't going to the south side of Chicago, which is the baddest part of town. If you go down there, you better best be aware of a manly Leroy Brown. See, they ain't going down there to get their vaccines. So when black folks, black players are sitting there talking about, well, I don't know. I don't know. Freeze. Freeze. Just don't go there with that. All right. I mean, I appreciate y'all being out there, you know, but yeah, yeah, just, you know, let, 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 let us handle that one. Let us deal with that one. I mean, in this situation, yeah, this is where y'all's money and your fame and your fortune and all that kind of stuff supersedes all the stuff that we're going through. So, yeah, if I'm the uh, NBA, I want those guys to get the vaccine. If I'm a person like myself or if I'm a person in the poor areas of this country of color, I tell uh, LeBron, I tell Chris Paul, I tell Jason Tatum, I tell Damian Lillard. Tell all those guys who are superstars, their brands, Chris Paul and those guys, hey man, go ahead and take the shot. Go ahead and take the shot. Don't don't worry about us, man, because we know where you're going to be going. We know the availabilities and the avenues that you have aren't attainable for us. You go ahead and you do what you need to do. Be safe. Be good role models so we can keep the NBA rolling. Those world in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. As I have my TV on, watching this Tiger Woods news once again. If you didn't catch it, Tiger Woods involved in a car accident this morning, single car crash over in California, seven twelve in the morning. He is going to live. He is having surgery, I believe, uh, knee injuries caused by the crash, so that uh, you know he should be able to um, make a full recovery to lead a a decent life or an active life. He might not be the athlete that he once was. He might not be able to do the things as far as physically, as far as the golf course, being an elite athlete, being an, an elite, one of the greatest, if not the greatest golfer who ever played. I mean, he won't be doing that, but you know, something tells me that Tiger will be recovering enough to where if he wants to play some golf, he'll be able to play some golf. Play with his kids, he'll be able to play with his kids. Enjoy the wealth that he's amassed during his uh, during his earning career. He'll be able to do that. So, God bless. Thank goodness that he's uh, going to live. Thank goodness that uh, they're, his, they're, his children didn't lose their father. Friends didn't lose... Uh, a friend, so that's good, but I mean, you know, I'm moving on, so it's time for me to move on. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, getting back to the NBA. The NBA. What is happening with the Los Angeles Lakers? Your Los Angeles Lakers. Lost their third game in a row, have lost four of their last five since losing Anthony Davis to uh, injury, <clears throat> the Achilles tear, or Achilles boo boo. They've only won, as I mentioned before, one of their last five games, and that was against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, so losing to the Washington Wizards, even though the uh, my Wiz extended their their winning streak to five games. Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook played great; each scored over thirty. Westbrook had a uh, triple double, I believe, with only three turnovers. Fantastic, wonderful. Now there's eleven and seventeen, which means that uh, Scott Brooks on the hot seat maybe it's been a reprieve a little bit but uh getting back to the um getting back to the lakers man 127 124 overtime loss uh at staple center james lebron and kyle kuzma both had chances to force double overtime with three pointers in the final seconds but missed i mean this shot by kuzma was a prayer you can't sit there and be like god damn how could you miss that that was a uh, That was a prayer. Not too many people were going to hit that. Not even the great Michael Jordan would have hit that one. So um, LeBron missing a a free throw that would have given the Lakers a one-point lead in regulation. So here we go. Here we go. Because last night he played 43 minutes against the Wizards, scored 31, had 13 assists, 9 rebounds. But here comes the conversation. All right, LeBron James, the load management, when are we going to cut it back? When are we going to slow down with this guy? Are we going to be taxing him too much? I told you this was going to be the situation when Anthony Davis went down. Anthony Davis, AD ain't coming through that door, folks, to play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers until after the All-Star break. So we're looking somewhere around March. And I know March is going to be next week, but we're looking even somewhere down the road of March. So this is going to be a situation where James is going to have to carry more of the responsibility for an extended amount of time. How much are we going to put on this man and how many minutes are we going to play this man to keep the Lakers? They're not even above water. They're way above water. They're on the shore. They're on the seashore. They're sitting at the dock of the bay as they watch the tides go go away. So what's up with this? He played, again, 43 minutes. He played all but one minute In six seconds of the fourth quarter in overtime. This is against the Wizards now. This isn't against the LA Clippers or the Brooklyn Nets or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Utah Jazz. It wasn't one of these teams. This was against one of the worst teams in the NBA, despite the fact that my Wizards have been playing better. Despite the fact that they had a depressive comeback victory over the Denver Nuggets, despite all of that. This is still a home game against the Wizards. This should be a situation where LeBron should be able to play about 25, 32 minutes. The Lakers should be winning this game comfortably, even without Dennis Schroder, even without Anthony Davis, and they should be moving on. But to play this guy this many minutes against the Wizards and then lose in the process? Talking about a punch to the cut followed by a punch to the jaw. And the minutes that he played in the fourth and in overtime, he scored 13 points, but he shot six for 13. He settled four times from the three-point line, missed. And again, four of his game-high eight turnovers came in that span. The span where LeBron shouldn't have been playing, where it should be a situation where, you know what? It would be a situation where the Lakers should be comfortably enough ahead to where it wouldn't James, James wouldn't need to be put in those situations. He also went one for three from the line down the stretch. I mentioned before, missed an and one attempt that would have put L.A. up by one with 10 seconds remaining in the fourth. Look, LeBron's in pursuit of an MVP. He wants that MVP. You listen to folks like Brian Windhorse who've followed LeBron and others who know LeBron. are like, he wants this MVP. He feels that this is a situation where he's, what, four-time, three-time something MVP champion or some nonsense like that. It was, LeBron's like, look, I should have won at least seven or eight. I mean, I was the best player in the league. The year that y'all gave it to uh, Derrick Rose, come on now. The year that Steve Nash, not Steve, the the, the year that um, Steph Curry won it. And LeBron finished behind, I think, Kawhi Leonard when Kawhi was with the Spurs. So James finished third or fourth. This is when he was back in Cleveland. That has still irked LeBron. In terms of, damn, man, okay, I understand that Steph Curry won the MVP, I get it, but damn, y'all gonna put me in third? Y'all gonna put me in fourth? Really? Kawhi Leonard? Really? Y'all gonna do that to me? The thing with LeBron is this, in a lot of those years in Cleveland, hey man, there were spots where he took time off in terms of uh, his intensity. There were times where he was just coasting. We all knew that LeBron was the best player in the game. He knew that he was the best player in the game. In the playoff, he showed you that he was the best player in the game, but during the regular season, he coasted too many times for us to sit there and be like, yeah, even though he's the best player in the NBA, we're not going to be giving him the NBA just because he is the best player, on the, in, best player in the league. He's going to have to go out and show it. And the two years that Giannis won the uh, MVP, the year that Derrick Rose won the MVP, the year that. A couple of years that Steph won the MVP. Those were legit. Those were legit. And yeah, you can make arguments for a couple of those by saying, look, the last couple of years we saw LeBron better player than Giannis. All right? We understand that. But during the regular season, LeBron took time off. Giannis didn't. This is the first time this season or even last season that LeBron has played any type of defense in the last three or four years. Caring about that other end of the uh, defense of us, uh, you know, playing defense. Giannis has become a great two-way player. During his ultimate prime, Kawhi was a great two-way player. You know, Steph Curry was changing the game of basketball and winning championships during that time. So, look, James is like, you know, and I think that's also, he's starting to build his resume for 10, 15, 20 years down the road, when another generation starts talking about who's the best player who's ever played the game, and of course, the names Michael Jordan and LeBron James are going to come up, James is like, I need a little bit more oomph to my resume to uh, strengthen my argument that, no, I am the greatest basketball player who's ever lived. And how many, what, how, what, what can I do? Because everybody talked about, you know, Jordan 6-for-6 six six in NBA Finals, and he was the MVP, and he did this, and he did that. No other player in NBA history had done those things, especially in LeBron James. And that's why LeBron James will never be compared or will never be as good or better than Michael Jordan because of this, because of that, because of these, because of those. LeBron is sitting there saying, oh, okay, so y'all got that? What can I do to say... Yeah, you know what? MJ did this and did that and he did these and the others. But did MJ do this? No. Did MJ win this? No. Did MJ do this when he was was 36, 37 years old? No. Did LeBron James do this in his 17th, 18th year in the league? No. Put some shine on it. Bow down to it. High-five it. Soul clap it. Do what you need to do. But shit, before y'all go running around talking about Michael Jordan this and Michael Jordan that... Take a look at what I'm putting down. And I think LeBron sees a situation where, look, in my 18th year, if I can win the MVP at this advanced stage in my career while leading the team to the championship, which would be my fifth championship and my 12th NBA Finals appearance, that's going to be some hard stuff to be uh, arguing with. Yeah, LeBron is, I mean, excuse me, MJ, you went to the championship six times. i doubled that, chump. So, you know, this is a situation where LeBron ain't slowing down. He ain't taking time off. He ain't doing what he did the first time he went back to to Cleveland and took a couple of weeks off, went down to Miami, rest, relaxed, did the things that he needed to do and came back, and Cleveland became a holy terror. He's not going to be doing that. So according to the data compiled by ESPN Stats and Information, prior to February... When the Lakers were just rolling, head and shoulders above uh, everybody else in terms of the best team in the NBA, maybe not record-wise, that was Utah. But when the Lakers were rolling, you ain't putting Utah above the Lakers. So prior to AD getting injured and getting injured, and in, then prior to February, Jane was averaging about 33 minutes per game, which ranked 43rd in the league, and represented the least amount of playing time in his career. Load management, right? Since the start of the month, since February, Black History Month, James is averaging 38 minutes per game in 11 games, which is most in the NBA. Interesting. Interesting. So what are we doing here? What do you think? Because now it goes to, look, what are we going to do with LeBron James? LeBron James is a freak. LeBron James is a genetic freak. LeBron James knows his body more than the coaches, more than anybody else. This guy, I believe, spends an upwards of close to a million dollars to take care of his body. All the stuff that he does to preserve his body. And as he mentioned before, in the uh, uh, press conference after the game, when you're talking about rest and load management, he's like, look, I'm resting right now. I'm sitting here talking to y'all. When I get in my car and I go home, I'm going to be resting then. And when I'm at home, I'm going to be resting then. When I'm here... And when I'm here to work, I'm going to be playing, and I want to play. Now, maybe Vogel can get a little bit more creative. I think 38 minutes is a little bit too much, especially when you're speaking about the quick turnaround that James had between winning a championship and coming back and playing the season. I think that 38 minutes through 11 games, again, we're speaking about an NBA where we don't know exactly what these playoffs are going to entail in terms of fan support fans in the arena. We don't know. So, if I'm Vogel and I'm those guys, my key is get these guys healthy by the time the playoffs starts. That's all I care about. All I care about is health and that's it. You can I don't care if we're the number 8 seed in the playoffs. If I got AD and I've got LeBron, I'll take my chances. And there's going to be no one in the state in the in the stands or no one at the arena. Then where is the home court advantage? There is none. If I finish below the Los Angeles Clippers, who cares? As I mentioned before in other podcasts, the Clippers play on the same play in the same arena as we do. And guess what? When the Clippers and the Lakers are playing, even if it's a quote-unquote Clippers home game, yeah, you feel the Los Angeles Lakers present. This is still a Lakers town, chump. This is still the LA Lakers town. I don't give a damn about Steve Ballmer and his 55 quadrillion gazillion dollars. I don't give a damn about Kawhi and Paul George. I don't give a damn about any of that nonsense. I don't give a damn. We are the Los Angeles Lakers. We are LA. We are the defending champions. We have ourselves Anthony Davis. We have ourselves the best player outside of Michael Jordan, arguably, and LeBron James. Shit. The fuck are you talking about. Well, Frank Vogel, that's it. I don't. I don't want James. It's it's not a matter of minutes. It's a matter of just making sure that they're ready. And look, the NBA is coming up at the All Star break. They're gonna have they're gonna have a break, so maybe Vogel's like, yeah, I can play him thirty eight. I can play him forty minutes a game. I can play him somewhere around that that average. But I also know that he's gonna get five days off once the um, season goes into a hiatus after the All Star. After the All-Star game. So he's going to be able to rejuvenate and get ready to go by then. The Lakers are going to be fine. Again, yeah, they lost three out of their four games. And yes, they lost those games without Anthony Davis. But another important person who is not playing because of uh, COVID protocols is Dennis Schroeder. And I said that who's going to be that guy to pick up the scoring? Who's going to be the number two scorer on this team with Anthony Davis gone down? Who's going to take that responsibility? It's going to be Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder isn't playing. So you're down two starters. Now the offense stagnates a little bit. Now you need LeBron not only to score but create. And he's going to be on the court a little bit longer. He's going to be on the court that much longer. 33 to 38 minutes. I mean, we're talking about five minutes. We're talking about playing an extra minute and five or ten seconds each quarter. That's not going to be the tipping point to LeBron being the best player on the court in May and all of a sudden LeBron being too tired in the fourth quarter in June. So judicious with the minutes that uh, Frank Vogel is going to be playing LeBron. And I'm quite sure LeBron and the coaching staff have sat down and been like, look, you know, what are we, we going to do? How are we going to map this out? How are we going to be doing this, that, and the other? So I, I, I'm not concerned. LeBron could take care of himself the only thing that the Lakers should be worried about is the health of Anthony Davis coming back. And when I say coming back, getting him ready for the playoff drive. What can we do in terms of, I don't know, I'm not in a medical field or anything like that, but my deal would be, hey, you know what? Let's get AD at peak performance by May. If that means that we have to play him X number of minutes, if that means we have to load manage him, if that means we have to, uh, you know, hold out, they say his injury is four to six weeks, instead of coming back and four, we make it six. That's what you got to do. Because I'll say it again, I'll say it again, I'll say it again, I'll say it again, and then after that, guess what? I'll say it again. AD and LeBron, you put those two on the court together, being as close to 100% healthy as as, uh, as possible, ain't nobody in the Western Conference has beaten the Lakers four times out of seven. And there ain't nobody in the Eastern Conference, maybe with the possible exception of a fully healthy in-sync Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets team adding another front court player to their uh, lineup. There's no other team in the NBA that's going to uh, give the Lakers problems. I love what Utah is doing. I think Donovan Mitchell is continuing to grow into that type of player. That could be the main guy on a a championship team. Rudy Gobert is proving that he is the best defender in the game, not only uh, uh, dealing with um, uh, protecting the rim, but he's also kind of settled down. Maybe that contract kind of settled him down to say, you know what, I don't need to be scoring points. I don't need to be demanding the ball in the post so I can go ahead and skyhook, or I can go ahead and Kevin McHale somebody to death, or I can shoot a fadeaway bank shot like Will Chamberlain you don't need to do that I don't need to try to go out and score 25 or 30. I can go ahead score eight points grab 15 rebounds block five shots uh, contest six others have other people think about where I'm at on another seven shots and that'll be my uh, that'll be my impact on a game oh I've been doing that already and I got 200 and something million dollars yeah you know what I think I can grow into this role I'll let Donovan, I'll let Bogdanovich, I'll let Jordan Clarkston shoot away and I'll just grab the rebounds and I'll just follow up dunks and I'll just finish at the rim. Fine, perfect. With all that being said, even with home court advantage, even with some people in the stadium, are you going to predict that the Jazz can beat the Lakers four times out of seven? Because I don't. If LeBron and AD are healthy, Do you think Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can beat the, uh, that's the one thing. Davis is the X X factor because there's nobody out there that can guard this guy. Nicholas Batum for the Clippers can't do it. Joe Ingles can't do it. Derek Favors for the Jazz, he ain't going to be doing it. Nobody on the Dallas Mavericks can do it. Nobody on the Denver Nuggets can do it. Nobody on New Orleans can do it. Who in the league right now is going to be able to match up with uh, with Anthony Davis? The only person that come close is Giannis and Bam out of Bayou, and they're in the Eastern Conference. There's no one out there that can really hang with the length, the strength, the skill of Anthony Davis. Nobody. Like, there's nobody out there available. So the Brooklyn Nets, the Clippers, who are more need of a point guard than any, anything else. The Jazz, there's, there's nobody out there that can that, that they can acquire to say, okay, now you can go ahead and not stop Anthony Davis, but at least slow him down a little bit. Give us 10, 15 minutes of just annoying and bothering and throwing Anthony Davis out of, out of rhythm just a little bit, which will give us a chance. He doesn't have that opportunity. No one in the league can do that, which is one of the reasons why AD is a top 10 player. So the Lakers are going to be fine. You know, have those guys ready to go in May. I would be more more concerned as of right now. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to save this for my next podcast coming up in a couple of days. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out what the hell's going on with the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you know? Because I don't. I need to figure out what the hell's going on with the Boston Celtics. Do you know? Because I don't. I mean, I watched them play, but there's some teams right now that uh, should be a little bit worried, especially... The way Brooklyn's playing there. You can sit there and talk about big deal. They played the Lakers without the A.D. and Schroeder and other things. Okay, that's fine. But they did go ahead on the road and also beat the Los Angeles Clippers. That team is getting really good. I mean, really, really good. And they're getting to the point where if they're going to be playing defense just a little bit better than they are right now, you tell me outside of L.A. who's going to beat them. And I'm not talking about the Clippers. I'm talking about the Lakers. Tell me who's going to be able to beat that squad if they play defense just a little bit better than what they're playing now. Bruce Bowen all of a sudden now is starting to become a very integral part of that team. He's starting to become like the P.J. Tucker, or he's starting to have that role that P.J. Tucker had or has with the Houston Rockets or had with the Houston Rockets when the Rockets were a team that was vying for conference championships. Maybe not so much as guarding people in the low post, but Bowen is the type of guy that can go ahead guard multiple positions care about guarding, not worried about scoring, not worried about play playmaking, feeding off the playmaking and offensive skills of Kyrie and James Harden, and that's what he's happy with. Scrap, hustle, set screens, take charges, get rebounds, defend, defend, defend. If Bowen can keep doing that, hell, right after Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, or if you want to just... Talk about the pecking order. I think the most important person on that squad is James Harden, followed by KD, followed by Kyrie, followed by DeAndre Jordan or whatever other front court player they're gonna get. But coming in after that is, is Bowen. He's more integral than TLC or Landry Schamett or any of those guys, Joe Harris, any of those guys, in terms of where the Brooklyn Nets want to go. So that could be the only squad moving forward that would give the Lakers in trouble if A D and LeBron are close to being one hundred percent. And under the assumption that Schroeder and Montrez Harold and Kuzma and Caruso and Marcus Sol and those guys are are there also in terms of uh, you know, being productive or just keeping at the same level that they are right now. So Laker fans, yeah, you lost three out of four, or four out of five. Yeah, y'all lost three in a row. Yeah, you lost to the Washington Wizards the other night. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry about it. No need to panic. When the playoff comes, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and the Lakers, (laughs) they'll be just fine. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the, That's the sound of the police. That's yes. sound of Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World and Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, shalom, Wassalam alaikum, Namaste. What's happening? Kepasa. Feeling good. Looking good. Trying to do my best. All in the day's work. Ah, good times, happy times. All right, moving from the NBA, from the association to the NFL, the draft is coming up in April. It begins on April 29th. It'll, excuse me, it'll end May 1st. Host city will be Cleveland, Ohio. So for the upcoming future, that's going to be mainly unless Deshaun Watson gets traded or something happens along those lines, which... I'll be discussing in the next next segment, segment, excuse me, but uh, as of right now, man, the NFL is going to be concentrating on the NFL draft. So, look, there's a lot of intriguing things going on. Really, people say that the draft is going to start at number two after the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence with their number one pick, with the number one pick in the draft. What are the New York Jets going to do? Are they going to make that move for Deshaun Watson? Are they going to go ahead and draft a quarterback? Are they going to keep Sam Darnold and maybe trade that pick? And pick up a bed via picks? Are they going to go ahead and maybe draft themselves the next best player outside of Trevor Lawrence? What exactly is the, what exactly are the New York Jets going to do? That is the intrigue. Well, one thing that's for sure is that a lot of times, especially when there's really not that much to talk about in terms of the NFL is concerned and you want to talk about the NFL draft and because there's no combine, because it's going to be limited in terms of the Access to the prospects that the organizations, that the football organizations have, which means that there won't be too much scuttlebutt to talk and write about concerning the uh, media. Media is concerned. They're going to have to start manufacturing like hot takes. They're going to have to start coming up the woodwork in terms of what can we do to uh, keep you interested? What can we do to help keep you think? What can we do for shock value? And uh, well, they're coming right out the bat. It's nothing that uh, was surprising. It seems that the uh, seems that this happens almost every year, especially when someone is supposed to be without question the no brainer number one pick. They start to nitpick, and they start to overanalyze, they start to overthink, and then they start to say, "Well, is this guy really the person that you want?" as far as the number one player being picked. Or if you're this team that's drafting number one, are you sure that you're going to be comfortable? Are you sure that this is the right guy, even though he's a flyer fire lock to be number one and all these things? Are you sure this is the guy? Well, now we're starting to uh, move toward that territory with Trevor Lawrence. Is Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback, overrated? Plead for heaven flipping sakes. For those who don't know who Trevor Lawrence is, generational talent, or is considered a once in a lifetime generational talent, one of the best NFL prospects of all time along the same lines as a John Elway or a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck. Look, maybe, and maybe this is just a situation, you know, when, when you hear about someone for so long, when he's been, been on the radar, when he had been in your conscious, when he's been in front of your TV screen, if, According maybe to some, if he's been shoved down your throat so many times, maybe you just start picking up folks in terms of, maybe you just start saying that he's negative, 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 and I don't know about this, and I don't know about that, just based on the fact that you're just sick and tired of hearing the guy. And you're sick and tired of hearing people glossing and wonderfying over Trevor Lawrence that is like, God, fucking enough already. Is there anything that we can do to find fault with this guy? Well, Trevor Lawrence... I mean, come on, man! This guy had one of the greatest careers in college football history. Not saying he's th- not saying he was the greatest, but just in terms of what he did, just in terms of the impact on the football field. Yeah, I know he only won one national title. Yeah, I know he didn't win a couple of uh, Heisman trophies like Archie Griffin. Yeah, no, he didn't make any type of rah-rah speech like T. Yeah, and, and I understand all those things. I know he didn't play in the SEC, which is considered the toughest. Conference in college football, I know he didn't do all any of those things, but man, if you just take a look at the last three years for Trevor Lawrence, when he came in as a freshman in twenty eighteen to replace Kelly Bryant and Kelly Bryant got all pissed off and butthurt hurt, and he transferred over to Missouri. Well, you know, after taking over for Bryant midway through that season as a true freshman, Trevor Lawrence passed for thirty two hundred yards, thirty touchdowns, and four interceptions while Leading the Clemson Tigers to an undefeated season and winning themselves a national championship. And not only winning themselves a national championship, he gave a beatdown to Nick Saban that I don't know if Nick Saban ever can uh, recover from in terms of that beatdown. What was it? 44 16? I mean, that was, uh, that was an ass whooping like, uh, thoroughly from pillar to post. If, Forget Tua and the rest of those guys, or forget whoever else was drafted number one. Tua came in um, the season after, but my point is is that if Lawrence would have, if if there would have been a situation where a freshman could declare for the NFL draft or it wasn't a situation where you had to spend a certain amount of time or be a certain age before you could apply for the NFL draft, if it was like the NBA situation, Trevor Lawrence would have been the number one player drafted in that draft class as a freshman after his freshman year a no doubt about it number one player picked by an nfl franchise sophomore year started slowly i think he had a couple of bad games he threw about three or four interceptions against wake forest earlier in the early in that season but he finished the season strong he threw for 3600 yards six interceptions no he threw for Uh, 3,600 yards, 36 scores, and eight interceptions while leading the Tigers to a uh, second consecutive college football playoff. Now, there he got blown out by LSU and Joe Burrow, but many people are saying that LSU squad was one of the best squads in the last 10 to 15 years in college football, and LSU that season went on to win the national championship, and they blew out everybody that year, or they beat everybody pretty well, including Alabama, going into his junior year this past season. Now, Here's maybe where some of the chink in the armor started to happen with Trevor Lawrence. Because for two years, it was Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. It was all about Trevor Lawrence. Oh my goodness gracious, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, right? Well, going into the junior year then, it was supposed to be, all right, this is going to be the year for Trevor Lawrence. Joe Burrow has left. I forgot who won the Heisman Trophy before Joe Joe Burrow, but you know Lawrence came in midway through his freshman season, so... I mean, this couldn't have been a Johnny Manziel. In fact, Manziel won the Heisman as a redshirt freshman. But, you know, as far as a true freshman, I think Adrian Peterson, when he played for Oklahoma, was the closest that a true freshman was to winning the uh, Heisman Trophy, I think, when he came in third. But, you know, everybody coming into the season, not everybody, but, you know, the consensus was this was going to be the year of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, Alabama, Justin Fields, possibly, you know, COVID threw everything into a tizzy. But it was Trevor Lawrence this year to win the national championship, to win the Heisman trophy. He was clearly the best player in college football, That this was going to be the year. This was going to be the guy. And I even predicted that if Trevor Lawrence would have done all those things, if he would have won that Heisman trophy and if Clemson would have won the uh, National Championship, that he had an argument, a pretty strong argument, that Trevor Lawrence was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, college football player who's been playing college football for the last 40, 50 years. But what happened? Amid all of that hubbub, all of that hubbubaloo, all of this uh, coronation, he didn't win the Heisman Trophy. Clemson didn't win the National Championship. In the National semifinal game against Ohio State. Lawrence was badly outplayed by Justin Fields. He was sacked numerous times. His dominance, I guess you could say his dominance kind of plateaued. Freshman year, great. Sophomore year, statistically even better. And the junior year, again, a whole lot of things going into that season, whether they're going to play, they're not going to play, COVID, how is this going to work? Players getting COVID. He himself got COVID. So there was just a lot of things, but it was sort of like, yeah, Lawrence is the best quarterback in college football, and yeah, he's doing this, and yeah, he's doing that. But it just seemed like the hype toward Lawrence just kind of plateaued. And when he didn't like reach ridiculous numbers, like he didn't have a season for of, of all ages. He didn't throw for 5,000 yards and 55 touchdowns and two interceptions and College football was normalized like any other season. He just was just like, okay, and, you know, what new story are we going to come up with? Ooh, there's Devontae Smith. There's Devontae Smith. There's Mac Jones coming out of nowhere. They have the Alabama football team is blowing everybody out, and they look like they're going to be gener- generationally great. Um, the Big Ten, whether they're going to play, whether they're not going to play. And when they did start playing, ooh, wow, uh, in, in Indiana. The, coming out of the woodwork and doing some stuff. Uh, you know, it was just all—all all of these other things going on that kind of put—that kind of put Trevor Lawrence in the background. And then when he came down with COVID, which caused him to miss a couple of games, including Clemson's loss to Notre Dame, it was just like, yeah. So he's not going to have an undefeated season. He's not going to play all the games. Clemson didn't win a national championship, and he's just—he—he was—he was Trevor Lawrence. He wasn't anything unbelievable. He wasn't, uh, he was just Trevor Lawrence, something that we've seen for the last couple of years. Yeah, he's good, but yeah, maybe we're just getting spoiled. Maybe we're just getting used to greatness concerning him. But that was the deal. So look, for his career, three seasons, two and a half of just speaking about how many games he actually started in 40, he threw for, uh, speaking of Lawrence, he threw for over 10,000 yards. 90 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. That's really damn good. That's really like awesome good. And a national championship and two semifinal, uh, placements in the college football, uh, landscape. That's really damn good. And again, Lawrence didn't lose a game at Clemson in which he started during the regular season. Oh. Oh, 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 oh you're gonna throw that shit in there, huh? Undefeated in the regular season, huh? Why don't you also include overtime? Ha 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 ha. Hey, look, they lost to a better LSU team. They lost to a better Ohio State team. No, no shame in that. And they gave Alabama head coach Nick Saban his worst beating in his college football head coaching career that he was well-known as Nick Saban. We're not talking about the Nick Saban from Kent State. We're not talking about the Nick Saban before the Miami Dolphins. We're not talking about even Nick Saban of LSU and Michigan State. We're talking about the greatest college football head coach of all time, Nick Saban. Trevor Lawrence and Clemson put a beat down on that version of Nick Saban. You think that's boring? You think that's something that should be taken for granted? You think that's something to where you can draw a negative from, from the quarterback position? Now, Lawrence has surgery on his non-throwing shoulder a few weeks ago. It's going to require about a five to four to six months recovery period. He should be fine by training camp. When, they, when training camp starts for Jacksonville, this is on the, assumption, on the assumption that there's going to be some type of normalcy to training camp in terms of the time and what they can do and those type of things. But, you know. People are starting to scouts and everybody who makes their living, makes their career, uh, you know, grading quarterbacks and scouting quarterbacks. They're starting to come out now. and They're starting to say that BYU's quarterback, Zach Wilson, is a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) Here we go. They don't point to any one thing. They don't point to, well, you know, Trevor Lawrence can't make the throw or he has small hands or... Uh, you know, he doesn't play well in cold weather or, you know, he really didn't get along with the teammates. I mean, there was, there's nothing that the scouts pointed to that makes them say, you know, Lawrence, this, that, and the other, he ain't that good. This, that, nothing about that. It was more, I guess, for them, the fact that, wow, this guy, Zach Wilson is just so unbelievably talented. And they used the initial, they used the PM initials when speaking about Zach Wilson. PM, Patrick Mahomes. You you knew some bullshit like that was coming, right? You knew some bullshit like that was coming. NFL scout Matt Miller, he reported that at least one team had Wilson ahead of Lawrence. And then Eric Galco of Optimum Scouting claimed multiple NFL teams have Wilson ranked higher. And Galco claims Wilson has been compared to, yep, Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray. Can, can you give this kid a break? Seriously, guys, can you just, can you give this guy a break? I, I was trying to figure out who was Patrick Mahomes compared to when he came into the league? Man. And this is what Miller said last Friday. He was talking about NFL evalu, evaluators are starting to push back against the consensus that Trevor Lawrence is a sure thing number one quarterback. I think he is. I have no inside information, but I think he is. Um, Miller was talking about, I've talked to four or five teams at this point that actually have Zach Wilson at the top quarterback in this draft. And they cite the arm talent, the ability to make throws down the field. What does he do? Uh, what, and what he does off platform as an athlete, the name Patrick Mahomes get brought up every time you talk about people in the NFL, about Zach Wilson. He's a little bit smaller, but the arm talent is there. That's that's so bullshittish. I'm sorry. I Look, I know these guys know a lot more about this stuff than I do. I get it. I understand it. I gotta admit, I barely saw Zach Wilson play this season. It wasn't really huge on watching BYU college football, or BYU college basketball, or BYU basketball, or BYU in the reels, or BYU softball, or BYU swimming and diving. There's really nothing uh, as far as the athletic program is concerned that's going to make me want to tune in to watch BYU doesn't think it's BYU or they're just BYU, but I didn't have an opportunity to watch Zach Wilson play, let alone have the knowledge and information and the experience to be able to break down Zach Wilson as a quarterback to um, see what he would do trends. Uh, you know, as he moves on toward the NFL, but you know, the last season at BYU he completed 73 and percent of his passes Almost 3,700 yards, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions. The team finished 11 01, so he's got that winning quality for him, even though the competition that BYU was playing against this past season Navy, Texas State, North Alabama, University, Texas, San Antonio, Troy. Okay. They ain't Alabama. They ain't Ohio State. They're not LSU. They're not not any of that competition, but you know, hey, 11 01 is 11 01. They beat. Uh, US, UCF, that's University of Central Florida, in the world-famous Boca Raton Bowl. I mean, if you can do well in the Boca Raton Bowl, baby, you just, you know, name your price. But they beat US, UCF 49-23. They lost to Coastal Carolina 22-17. Their only loss of the season took it on short notice. notice. Both teams took that game on short notice, Coastal Carolina and BYU. So, you know, I, I think this is a situation where Look, Wilson is the new, fresh story. We didn't hear about him for years upon years upon years. Wilson's story has been told over and over again for three years. I just think people are getting a little bit tired of him. And when I hear this nonsense, the comparison, like, you know, Zach Wilson now is being uh, considered a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence because of his arm talent and his athletics, athleticism and all that kind of nonsense. You know what it reminds me of? This whole comparison, this quarterback comparison, two of these guys who might go in the top two pick. I mean, you know, you know, Lawrence is going to be number one, but there's, you know, depending upon what type of, uh, you know, stake you put into mock drafts, how much credence you put into that. I mean, you have the Jets; they could be doing anything, man. Some have them drafting Zach Wilson. Some have them drafting the offensive lineman from Oregon. Some have them trading their pick, and then. Uh, somebody else is using that to pick Justin Fields. So there really is no consensus when it comes to Zach Wilson, a guy who's supposed to be more talented or have more athletic and arm talent than Trevor Lawrence. And you've got him bouncing anywhere between number two and number six or number seven. I mean, if he was that talented, if he was in anywhere close to being Patrick Mahomes, wouldn't you have him at number two, at the very least with a bullet? If he was that sensational, if he was that spectacular, if he had... Similar type of qualities, even though not with the same level of expertise as the Patrick Mahomes. Wouldn't you have Zach Wilson more solidified at the number two spot, regardless of who's picking? If Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, if um, Zach Wilson is going to be compared to Patrick Mahomes, wouldn't it make sense for the Jets without any qualification whatsoever to go ahead and draft Wilson and say goodbye to Sam Darnold, maybe trade him somewhere? Wouldn't that be the uh, choice? So, again, this kind of sounds like, hmm, for a guy who's supposed to have Patrick Mahomes-type qualities, he sure does bounce around the mock drafts a lot, I tell you that much. So, as again, it, it kind of really sounds familiar, this Wilson versus Lawrence deal. Remember the draft conversation people had back in 1998 between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf? Remember that nonsense? For those who might not have uh, been cognizant of that or – aware of that, Manning Manning coming out of Tennessee, University of Tennessee, the last time that Tennessee, outside of the one time that Philip Fulmer won that national championship with T. Martin, the year after Peyton Manning graduated. But back when Tennessee was a real legitimate football program that was a team that, you know, produced pros and a team that was one of the better college football programs during that era, Manning was supposed to be this what can I say? He was supposed to be this, this this fundamentally sound, high football, intelligent, non-charismatic leader, this generational talent from a football establishment, uh, from a football playing family. Because Archie, his father, was a guy who, if the dice would have been enrolled correctly or uh, in a different way, and he would have gone to a team of, other than the New Orleans Saints, that there's a possibility this guy could have been in, in the Hall of Fame. He was the number one pick. So... Peyton was coming from good genes. So he had all of these things. Fundamentally great. High football intelligence. A four-year starter. You know, uh, uh, not as I mentioned before. Vanilla, but not boring or bland. Someone who could be a leader. And he was going to be the guy that was going to come into the NFL and tear it up. I mean, he was a generational talent um, for his four years at uh, at Tennessee. A guy who if he came out of Freshman or sophomore or junior year would have been the number one pick, but he wanted to lead the uh, Vols to a championship, and I believe David Cutler at that David uh, Cutcliffe at that time was the offensive coordinator who then went on to coach at Duke for a million years so you know the, the story was right there the wonderful fabulous story in the last home game that Peyton Manning played he's up there directing the Tennessee band that they played the Rocky Top I mean it was just like oh my goodness I mean writers and folks and everything they could just love this they just, just love they just ate that shit up man you know But born in the South, born in SEC territory, knew the tradition, you know, respected the tradition, loved the tradition. I mean, them them jackasses down there in SEC territory just love that stuff. So Manning was supposed to be that guy, right? Ryan Leaf comes along way out here in Washington State. Where in the hell is Washington State? Who in the hell has heard of Washington State? What the hell is Washington State all about? No one knows this, that, and the other. Well... His, I guess his junior year at Washington State, here comes Ryan Leaf, this kid, about 6'5", 220, 230 pounds, which back then was considered a huge uh, quarterback, but this guy was big, this guy was uber-athletic, he was physically gifted as far as... uh, the arm talent and arm strength and everything. He was this gunslinging Brett Favre type of confidence, cock-fire sureness about himself of a, of a leader where teammates could not just lead, but they would adore and gravitate toward him. You know, he had that, he had that, that, that kind of, you know, I'm the shit and I know that I'm the shit and let me go out here and tell you why I'm the shit. And not only will I perform the fact that I'm the shit, but then after I'm done performing the shit, I'll talk shit to you. I mean, it was just, that was Ryan Leaf in, College, And we never heard of the guy. I mean, Peyton Manning first started against, I guess he came off the bench against uh, UCLA. And uh, he replaced a guy who I think went on to become a... Todd Helton. I think it was Todd Helton. Went on to play with the Rockies and that type of stuff. But he came in his freshman year and, you know, it was just a big, like I mentioned before, it was just three, four years of Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning. Meanwhile, Ryan Leaf is out there you know, up there in the Pacific Northwest, no one heard of this guy until until his last year in college where he was doing those type of things. So, again, it was the, ooh, just like, you know, we never heard of Zach Wilson. Did you hear about Zach Wilson two years ago? Have you ever heard of that Zach Wilson before this past season? You heard of Trevor Lawrence, though, didn't you? So, Lawrence, old news, Wilson, fresh story, just like in 98 into the draft, four years of Peyton Manning, overshadowed. We got tired of it. We got tired of the story. We got tired of the interviews with his father. We got tired of the stories about how much he loves college. We got tired of how much, what a great guy he is. We got tired of, uh, you know, he loves the SEC and he loves college football. We just got tired of it. Got tired of Mr. Perfect, Peyton Manning every fucking time. So here comes this Ryan Leaf who's the anti Peyton Manning and people were just like, ooh, bad boy. Bad boy Ryan Leaf. right, you know how Females feel about bad boys. Bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? So Ryan Leaf, just like Zach Wilson. not saying that Zach Wilson had the same destructive personalities and was a complete immature asshole that Ryan Leaf turned out to be and what the uh, school was hiding. But, you know, it was along the same measure of Zach Wilson, fresh story. Trevor Lawrence, kind of getting stale. Peyton Manning at the four years. Kelly getting stale. Ryan Leaf, fresh story. So going into the the, uh, draft, all of a sudden now, the guy who ever since the sophomore year was like, it's going to be preordained that this guy was going to be the number one draft pick, speaking of Peyton Manning. All of a sudden now, we started getting closer to the draft. Here comes this guy, Ryan Leaf, and it's like, wait a minute now. You know, take a look at Manny. He's not that athletic. You know, he doesn't have that rocket arm. He can't make certain type of throws when he's got five guys hanging around him. You know, he's he's not that brash, bold leader that Ryan Leaf can be. I mean, this this is a guy who might be nothing more than a system quarterback because of his lack of physical tools, his lack of athleticism. We don't know. We don't know. Is this guy going to inspire anybody? You know, and remember also, Peyton Manning never won a big game. You know, Peyton Manning sh- shows up small in the biggest games. He never beat Alabama or Florida when Florida was a rival in his four years in college. He would beat the Vanderbilts. He would beat the Mississippis in the Mississippi States. Oh, Peyton Manning looked great doing that shit. He would even beat the Georgias. But when it came down to the two biggest rivals, Alabama and Florida, he never beat them. Then... A guy who was supposed to be a shoe in that season to win the Heisman Trophy, preseason favorite, no doubt about it, slam dunk. He lost it to Charles Woodson of Michigan, who, just like, I guess, Devontae Smith, was a guy who basically came out of nowhere. So we saw, just like Trevor Lawrence, Peyton Manning his senior year, good, yeah, it was, it was nice, it was pretty, yeah, just about the same lines, It's what I expected. That's nice, big deal, but oh my goodness, Charles Smith, you've got this cornerback who's a two-way player, and he's a great shutdown corner, and he's making plays on offense in these special teams, and this, that, and the other, and he's playing for Michigan, and Michigan is surprising a lot of people, and they're doing well, and this is great, this is awesome, this is wonderful. Meanwhile, Peyton Manning, yeah, okay, losing to Alabama-Florida again. Huh? Oh, yeah, great, wonderful. Hmm, yeah, how about that? Oh, look at the stats, kind of similar to what he did as a... Uh, freshman, sophomore, and junior. Jeez, he's been there three years, too. We've been covering this guy and giving him the Holy Grail for three-plus years now? easy. So, Charles Woodson, just like Lawrence. Now, Zach Wilson didn't win the Heisman Trophy. Back then, Ryan Leaf didn't win the Heisman Trophy. But I think a lot of this... You, you remember this past season when they were talking about Heisman Trophy candidates and they were mentioning Devonta Smith and they were mentioning Mac Jones and they were mentioning... Um, I don't know how, I don't think Justin Fields ever really got into the running, but they were mentioning all these other people, and meanwhile, people are like, you, you're really going to sleep on Trevor Lawrence? You, you, oh yeah, well yeah, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is up there, yeah, but you know, I mean, he only threw for 287 yards and three touchdowns and three quarters of Clemson's 56-7 defeat of some... ACC fold that no one gives a fuck about. Meanwhile, did you see the numbers that Mac Jones is putting up, and Devonta Smith, and this, that, and the other? Again, just, a, you know, this Mac Jones kid who sat behind J- Jalen Hurts, and Tua Tunga Bailoa, and um, Devonta Smith, who had to sit behind uh, Henry Ruggs, and, um, oh, the kid from uh, uh, Denver, whose name, I, it's, it's, it escapes me right now, but, you know, paying their dues, and this, that, and the other. Fresh story. Trevor Lawrence is a stale story, so all of those things came into play, it's coming into play right now, right? Oh my goodness, Peyton Manning never won a big game. Damn, really? Really? How many big games did Patrick Mahomes win? <laughs> He's got this gunslinger, and Ryan Leaf has got this gunslinger, cocky, bad boy, you know, this, that, and the other. How did their careers end up, by the way? Oh, that's right. Peyton Manning lived up to the glass half full proxen- um, um, uh, scouting report and tore the league up and came down and went down and is going down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of his generation and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And what did Ryan Leaf do? What was Ryan Leaf's claim to fame? Knock it off, huh? What did he say? Knock it off! When he he was shouting at that reporter and Junior Sayo, RIP had to come over and take him away. So that's Ryan Leaf compared to... Now, look, I'm not saying that Trevor Lawrence is going to replicate the career, the accomplishments, the stature of a Peyton Manning. I'm not saying that Zach Wilson is going to replicate and follow the same path as a Ryan Leaf. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that it's amazing how out of boredom or whatever, or someone is trying just to be that guy, that, that one guy, you know, who's the guy that called... Buster Douglas to knock out Mike Tyson. Who was the guy that, before the tournament started, said that NC State was going to win the national championship in 1983? You know, who, who was that guy? Everybody, I, I was that guy. I was the first. I'm the genius. I'm the smartest guy in the room. So I'm going to be the first to predict that Zach Wilson is going to have a Patrick Mahomes type of impact on the NFL. I'm going to be the guy. I want to be the guy to walk into a uh, organization – who's looking for a scout when I need a pay raise and go up and talk to the guys and say, I was the guy who said that Patrick Mahomes, I'm sorry, that uh, Zach Wilson was going to be better than Trevor Lawrence. I was that guy. If for some reason, Zach Wilson does become that guy, you know, they, they want to be first. And if they don't, they're not, who's going to remember? No one can even put a name. These scouts can't even put a name uh, to their, Uh, Prognostication, in terms of Zach Wilson, like I can't even say this scout right here said that. The the name of this scout, Joe Schmo, of the scout for the Pittsburgh Steelers, said that Zach Wilson is a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. It's going to have a better career and is going to resemble something close to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, when you're anonymous and you're just talking under that type of cloak, you can just say any type of bullshit you want to. Shit. Matt Jones is going to gonna be the second coming of Tom Brady, except he's going to be five times better. Really? You want me to quote that? Yeah, just go ahead and quote that, but just don't say my name. Oh, shit. And just in case it does happen, I'll be the first one to say, that was me! Okay, great. Fantastic. So, here's the thing that, I mean, I will give Patrick Mahomes credit for this. We're, he, he's starting to reach... Michael Jordan influence in his sport. Remember? Because now we got the... Zach Wilson is the... Has similarities to Patrick Mahomes. Stop your bullshit, man. Stop with the the double... Stop with the the read-between-the-lines bullshit. You want to say that Zach Wilson can be just as good as Patrick Mahomes. You go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. But they don't really want to sound stupid in that one. So they just say... So they, they cover themselves. Well, he has... Those type of quality shit. He has, he has those type. He might be smaller and his arm isn't as great, but it's like, okay, okay, great. You know what? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say this right now. I'm gonna say this right now. You know what? When I sing, I have Otis Redding type qualities. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 tune might be a little bit off. Yeah. My voice might not be right there. And yeah, I might not have the same soulful feeling as Redding, but I tell you, it's, it's somewhere in the ballpark. It's somewhere in the stratosphere. You know, hey, I can sing Sam Cooke. I've got those same, I've got, I've got movie star quite qualities. Yeah. You know, I might have to lose about, 30 pounds and yeah I might have to you know go on a PED binge and you know build some muscles and stuff like that and yeah the makeup artist might have to you know work double overtime to make me look movie star handsome and movie star great and yeah maybe put in some contacts or do LASIK to take these glasses off or maybe get myself a suit or I don't know maybe take me to charm school or something like that yeah you know but 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 I'm tall and I'm so there you go, movie star, superstar, right here. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just as good of an actor as Denzel, except you know when Denzel starts acting, you know he, you know, uh, he might be infinitely better than me. But hey, you know what? I've I've got that. I'm I'm black. I'm a male. Shit, right there, same same qualities as Denzel. Denzel's black, right? Uh huh. Isn't um, Denzel a man? No. Boom. Bingo. Bingo. I see something in that Wallace kid. I see something in him. You know, King Kong ain't got shit on me. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Woo. Sign me up, Jack. So please, give me a, give me a break. Give me a break with this. Zach Wilson has arm talent similar to. Even if he did, that's a slap and an insult to Patrick Mahomes because it's not just the physical with Patrick Mahomes that makes him so great. You know this. You know this. Why am I telling you this? You know this shit better than I do. It's his intellect. It's his knowledge. It's his charisma. It's his leadership skills. There's so other, so many other things. Jeff George was a wonderkin in terms of football talent is concerned. But ask any of his teammates in the pros or ask a lot of the teammates that he had in the pros, whether it be with Atlanta or... Uh, Indianapolis or whatever, they say that guy was the biggest jackass around. Rob Johnson from USC, uh, he had a great arm and everything like that. Ask his teammate what a diva asshole piece of shit that guy was as a teammate. Doesn't matter. You can have the greatest arm and talent in the world. It doesn't mean anything if you don't have the other qualities. And if you're going to compare someone to Patrick Mahomes, who despite losing in the Super Bowl is still on the path to be one of the greatest quarterbacks, Who's ever played the game if he fulfills his potential? And the only way I don't think he fulfills his potential if he comes down with a devastating injury? Then what, what, are, what are we doing here? What are you doing here? You know, you know better than me in terms of making that assumption. So what if he has an arm that's similar to Patrick Mahomes? What's his leadership skills? How quick is he to break down a defense? What's he like as a teammate? What's he like as a human being? Is he going to be able to uh, be able to handle being a superstar if he does become one of those? How dedicated is he to the game of football? What's his limitations? What's his ceiling? What's his floor? I mean, there's so many other things. Just to say that, you know, Patrick Mahomes, there's so many things that goes into Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes the quarterback than just arm talent. Yeah, the arm talent is unreal. Unbelievable. Something we've never seen before. Next generation Aaron Rodgers type arm talent. But... You know, there's some other things that also go in there that makes him the greatest. So that's Michael Jordan. Remember, remember this bullshit. You know, every every black guy who was around six five or and and could jump was being compared to uh, Michael Jordan. You know, I'm interested to see what happens with Zach Wilson if he continues to be compared to Patrick Mahomes in some instances. Is he going to turn out to be the Kobe Bryant or the Harold Harold Miner of player scouts when they're speaking about, uh, you know, that that type of uh, moniker? You know, Jordan-like. You know, Kobe was compared to Jordan, came close. Harold Miner, baby Jordan was compared to Jordan, not close. And a whole bunch of other folks in between. So, man. Zach Wilson, better prospect than Trevor Lawrence with Patrick Mahomes type qualities. Oh yes. This this NFL draft season it's gonna be fun. <laughs> Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Talking about what's going down in the world of sports. They're still speaking about Tiger Woods. Guess you can't blame them. Yeah, uh, yet the athletes are starting to send their condolences. Ah, uh, yes, we're starting to have the press conferences. Here, here's my deal about Tiger Woods. And here's my deal about most of the times where, you know, we, we go head over heels in terms of uh, something bad happens to a public figure, and all of a sudden we start the deification process, and, you know, we start doing this this jazz. Um, my, my perspective has always been this, you know, these folks, God bless them, they earned it, they deserve it, hey man, you know, I'm not mad at them or anything like that, if I was in the... Uh, same position they are in I would do the same thing but these guys have the earning power the earning potential they've because of their celebrity because of who they are who they are they've made connections to where you know if anybody can recover from this if anybody can uh, get through this is Tiger Woods uh, because of who he is I guess his character because of his money because of the opportunities that he has the position that he is in life that, that's great. And it's just kind of I sit there and I'm like, you know what? I remember when I first got to Phoenix, and I was starting at a very small radio station. I was uh, working seven days a week, had no days off, didn't know anybody. I think I, for the first 150 days, I worked straight, not a day off. I would work at a I would work at a telemarketing place Monday through Friday. And then, you know, during the weeknights and then Saturday and Sunday all day, I would work at uh, at, the, at the radio station down in Phoenix uh, producing. And I remember I was working with a guy at Neutron Industries in Phoenix, Arizona. They were cleaning supplies. And Neutron Industries, hi, this is... Hi, hi Joan, this is Wendell Wallace of Neutron Industries. You know, the one that sent you the uh, orange smelling patch. So yeah, I'm here to tell you about a great special that we're having today. You know, I'm with that guy. And I remember... I worked with a really great group of people. God, we had so much fun, and uh, this was like early. This was like the late. When did I work there? Like early '90s or some shit like that. So I remember I was in my I was in my '30s, early '30s, somewhere around '30s. So so I um, relatively young. I was working with an older gentleman, and he was retirement age, so he had to be in the '60s. Great guy, just a great great guy. And he was new to the team, you know, after training with the group of people that we trained with, we all went out there and we all had to do the two to three week uh, orientation process where, you know, you'd had helpers to uh, get us through the shit. And then we were good enough to go to our own groups and our own teams and this, that and the other. So I was next to a guy um, who had just come in and he had just gone through orientation and he had the spot next to mine and just a great guy. Just an awesome guy. And I remember his hands would shake, you know? His hands would shake. And I'm like, hey, man, what's up? Uh, you know, everything all right? You, you fine, this, that, and the other? Because, you know, when you're doing telemarketing, people, you know, curse it out. You get hung up on and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, at the beginning, he wasn't making that many sales, he wasn't making that many deals. It was a small base salary. You had to make, you know, the most of your money on the commission. And if you didn't sell a certain amount at a certain amount of time, they'd let you go. So I remember he was struggling. And I remember it was getting toward the end. And he needed a whole lot of sales to keep his job. And I remember he would shake. His hands would shake, you know, this, that, and the other. Especially when he was intense and trying to sell this stuff and this, that, and the other. And I was like, hey, man, what's up? You okay? This, that, and the other. Everything's going to be good. This, that, and the other. He goes, man, you know, I... I need the job. I need this. I need this job. I can't afford to lose this job. You know, I'm I'm 60-something years old. I need to work for another six to eight months before I get Social Security and I can retire and this, that, and the other, but I cannot afford to lose this job. And, you know, if you haven't noticed, you know, my hands shake this, that, and the other because I have Parkinson's. I was like, oh, man, you got Parkinson's? Yeah, I got Parkinson's. And it's exasperated when I start getting flustered, or if I start getting stressed, my hands start to shake. So at the job, we're supposed to be typing in notes as they speak, because you don't know. I mean, if they hung up, hang up or do whatever, if you don't get the sale, it gets recycled. And, you know, maybe in the next three to six months, somebody else is going to get this guy, and they've got to have some notes to be like, oh yeah, I heard it. You talked about this, and I heard it. One of the reasons why you didn't want it was because of this, that, and the other. So we were supposed to put in notes. So type as you talk. So when he would be um, talking to these people and trying to sell stuff, his hands would start, start shaking. It would it would make it impossible for him to type anything down. So. You know, the supervisor takes a look at, look at that. And they're going to be like, "Hey, man, why aren't you uh, writing down any notes? This, that, and the other. You were on the phone call for 15 minutes, and you didn't write any notes, or these notes are not um, legible. What's what's going on with this?" So I remember him saying, "Look, I need the, I need this job. I need this job because I have Parkinson's, and my wife has fibromyalgia, which is just devastating. I mean, yeah, if people don't know what fibromyalgia is, I wouldn't worse. I wouldn't." I wouldn't wish that on my worst. Well, I I guess I could wish it on my worst enemy. But, I mean, outside of a child molester or a rapist or a serial killer or someone who's completely evil, I wouldn't wish fibromyalgia on anybody. That is an absolutely horrible, horrible disease. So, I mean, he was like, look, if I lose this job, I lose all my benefits. I lose everything I get as far as being able to afford medication and everything. So, I'm, I'm screwed. I'm screwed, and I'm sixty-something years old. You know, it's not like I can just go out and get another job. This, that, and the other. You know, so on top of that, I've got you know bills and everything else to pay. And my wife, because of fibromyalgia, she can't work. I mean, it's impossible to work. She's in constant pain all the time. So, you know, I really need this job. And it just it broke my heart because this guy was just fantastic. The guy was an awesome guy. Now I quit before I found out what happened to this guy, but he was awesome. And it's like, man, ain't life a fucking bitch, man? Because you you tell this story right now to somebody, or you tell this some you tell this story about somebody going through something similar like this, it doesn't get the same amount of attention, it doesn't get the same amount of emotion, it doesn't get the same amount of reaction as Tiger Woods running his car off the road. He's Tiger Woods is going to be okay, and he's going to be able to make it back. And we have wall-to-wall news coverage and we have these people talking about how wonderful he is and what a great guy he is and what a fighter he is and what an awesome human being he is when, you know, being an awesome human being and everything else to the contrary. I've heard enough stories about Tiger Woods dealing with regular people to know that he's not an awesome human being. He's not a giving human being. He's not an unselfish human being. He's not a caring and giving human being. He doesn't care about anybody else but himself. Heard enough stories. You, go, you live here in Vegas. You hear enough stories from taxi cab drivers and folks who work at hotels and casinos and all these kinds of places to know that Tiger Woods ain't a good guy. And when you're rich and you're famous like that, it really doesn't matter. But, you know, the guy gets in the car wreck because he can play a mean game of golf and he knows a bunch of people who are equally or on the same level or in the same stratosphere of popularity or notoriety or public figurism. That oh Tiger, get well, oh Tiger, you're the greatest. Oh Tiger, he's this. Oh Tiger, he's that. Whatever, man. Tiger Woods is gonna be fine. He'll move on. Glad that he's gonna be able to keep living this life. But I'm not look, I'm not gonna be deifying the guy. And it's a shame in our society when someone who I knew like that was struggling with Parkinson's fibromyalgia, didn't have a chance. These fo- these same folks who are sitting up there talking about, oh Tiger, he's the greatest. Oh Tiger, he's so wonderful. Oh Tiger, he's so strong. Oh Tiger, this, that, and the other. Those people, same people, don't number one, they don't know Tiger Woods, and number two, wouldn't give a damn about the person that I knew. Unfucking believable. Unfucking believable. But that's the world that we live in. I remember working at the same place where I worked across from somebody, the cubicle. I worked across from somebody. She was in my training class and everything. Who tried to do a murder suicide? She was, she was successful on half of that. She killed her boyfriend, and then she tried to kill herself and didn't work. <laughs> I mean, I, she was great, pretty girl, pretty you know, pretty white woman. Um, she was great. She was great to hang out with. We went back and forth making fun of each other and everything. She was awesome to work with. And then one day. She didn't come into work. This is before the internet and all that kind of stuff was really prevalent. So she didn't come into work one day and it was like, hey, where's uh, Sharon? You didn't hear? No, I didn't hear. Hey, man, she's in the hospital. Like, what? In the hospital? Yeah. You know what she's in the hospital for? No. She killed her boyfriend and then shot herself. What? I mean, I knew her and her boyfriend were breaking up, but it was that serious? Yeah. 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 She killed her ex, shot herself. (sighs) She's in the hospital right now. I tried to go down and see her, but the police were like, no, sorry. First of all, she's in ICU, and she's under arrest, so not happening. So I guess that took place, what, 30-something years ago? No, 20-something years ago? So either that woman is still in prison, or I don't know what happened to her. But, yeah, interesting things about life. That could be a movie right there that I was just talking about. Wendell's World in Sports, I like, I, like, worked at the uh, – I, I I worked at the uh, – ...telemarketing version of the Cecil Hotel in L.A. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, Houston! 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 What are we doing here? The Houston Texans. What are we doing? They still have Deshaun Watson. He's still a Houston Texans. When are we going to get to the point now... ...where Watson is finally going to get traded? Or when will Houston get serious about trading Watson? Because I I saw this in Morning Football in America... Pete, uh, Peter King stuff. Houston is not only Houston is not only not interested in training Watson, but also not interested in listening to offers for him. At least two teams have given offers to Houston and have gotten zero feedback. Rookie GM Nick Casario is categorically opposed to trading Watson either in the next nine weeks before the NFL draft. Or ever. geez oh, flippity-flute, man. No reporting on how the Texans are going to convince Watson to stay with the organization. I don't, I, I just, I, what, what are we doing here? What are you, so are we getting to the point now where you're just going to say, screw you, Deshaun, you're going to be playing with us or you're going to be playing for nobody? Is this a power play? Is this a kind of show-you-who's-your-daddy type of deal that you're doing now? If this, you know, are we into the who's got the bigger dick uh, contest here with this guy? Because I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing. Deshaun Watson does not want to play for your team. You saying that we're not interested in Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson is not going to play for your team, you are going on the assumption that Deshaun Watson will break and Deshaun Watson will come back, tail between his legs, and play for Houston. What kind of player? Even if that's the best case scenario, which is the best case scenario, what? How is that going to be productive? How is that going to lend to a winning culture? How is that going to help your coach? How is that going to be in the locker room? How is that going to be for your organization? It doesn't make any sense to me. Look, I'm not saying that you need to. I'm not saying that you need to uh, trade Deshaun Watson ASAP. You got leverage. Go ahead. Go ahead and use the leverage, Nick Casario. I get it. There's no rule saying you have to trade Deshaun Watson by now. But damn, man, this stuff about, you know, telling teams that they ain't interested who are calling about Deshaun Watson and telling them as reported that you're not interested in trading for Deshaun Watson now or never. If I'm Deshaun Watson, man, I'm like, hey, Nick, fuck you. You want to play this game? You want to play the who's going to break first game? All right, fine. I ain't breaking. I'll leave you on bail myself for an entire year. I'll go ahead and do that. I am not going to your team. I am not reporting to your team. I'm not interested in playing for your team. I have no desire to play for your team. Not today. Not next week. Not by the draft. Not by OTAs. Not by training camp. Not by the preseason. Not by the first season. Not by the fifth game. Not by the eighth game. Not for the 2022 season. Never! Nick. Dick. I'm not interested in playing for the Houston Texans. Do yourself a favor. Do the organization a favor. Do the players a favor. Do your coach a favor. Do the owner a favor. Do the fan base a favor. Get the best deal that you can for me. Because I don't know, again, what, what, is somebody gonna ask Casario, what is the plan? You're not trading him, what is the plan? Deshaun has made it clear, even though he hasn't done it pers- personally yet. By all accounts, Deshaun Watson has no interest in playing for the Texans now, unless Casario is getting Casario is getting some other type of vibes, or he's hearing through the grapevine something different. Or yeah, right now, but you know, be patient. Deshaun will turn around. Don't worry about it, unless it's something like that. What? What are you baking? Your optimism on? What are you banking the fact that Deshaun Watson's going to play? What are you banking on selling Deshaun Watson to have him say, oh, you know what, fellas? All right. You're right. Sounds good to me. I'm all, I'm all on board. Other than telling Watson's agent, hey, look, he signed the contract less than a year ago, so your client needs to honor the contract and play for us. Period. We'll see you at training camp. I don't give a damn. He can throw his little temper tantrum as he wants to. He can unfollow us on Facebook or Snapchat or you know Instaface or whatever whatever social media platform he's on you can do all that stuff you could be mad at me you can pound like a little child that's fine training camps and ota start at this time we'll see you then our first game starts at then. and uh, you know uh, at this time we'll see you then you know he, he can go ahead and try that but i other than that i don't know what is there for him to say hey look to i know You don't think we're going in the direction, but boy, do I got a plan for you. Boy, do I got something for you that's going to make you go down not only at the greatest quarterback who's ever played, But also, you're going to lead this team with multiple Super Bowls. Yeah, I know Patrick Mahomes right now is rolling. I know that Josh Allen and the Bills are looking good. I know that the Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Mayfield Browns are are heading in the right direction. Yeah, I know all those things. Yeah, I know that Indianapolis got themselves a Carson Wentz. Yeah, I know those things. But let me tell you something. I got a plan that's going to be able to not only beat them in the upcoming years, but for years to come. And... You are going to go down at the greatest Texan of all time. Ooh, I can't wait for you to be uh, inducted into the 2041 Hall of Fame because boy, oh boy, this is going to be great. When they do the documentary of your life, this little chapter right here, woo, it's going to be something else. What are you presenting to Deshaun Watson that's going to have Deshaun be like, yeah, fuck yeah, worth the evidence that Houston can show that it has any type of rebuilding plan. Because according to Jason Fitzgerald of Over the Cap, Houston is about $13 million over the cap, so forget about trying to obtain some type of free agents. Now, you could reduce that number by cutting David Johnson, that would save Houston 6.5 mil. It could cut Duke Johnson, that would save the team another 5 mil. But, oh, guess what? You wouldn't have any fucking running backs. You could restructure wide receiver Brandon Cook's contract he had twelve million he had a twelve million dollars uh, cat hit in twenty twenty one with zero dead money. And Brandon Cook has said this offseason that look, man, he's tired, I'm tired of being traded. I've gone from New Orleans to New England to Los Angeles to Houston in the span of five years. It's time for me to sit down and you know and and, and you know get some roots. Which must mean that his wife must be tired of moving all the time. So Cook has, Also reportedly close with Jack Easterby and a restructure of his uh, salary is a possibility. So great. We got Brandon Cooks coming back with no running back and a bad offensive line. What are you going to do about Will Fuller? Houston wants to increase their chances of convincing Watson to stay. Sign Will Fuller. Bring him back. That would be a good start. He was having his most productive season, speaking of Will Fuller, last season when he was suspended for the last five games of the season because of PED use. He caught 53 passes and 879 yards and eight touchdowns through 11 games last season. So what are we going to do here? He's looking for a pay increase. You know, Even though that he's been injured in the first five seasons, he's only played 53 out of a possible 80 games. You've got the Jets, you've got the Dolphins, you've got New England, Chicago, Cincinnati, the Raiders, Green Bay, they all need a quality wide receiver. Though in maybe Indianapolis, even though with the salary of Carson Wentz maybe that's being taken out of the equation, but there's plenty of teams out there that you know are going to be able to uh, overpay for someone like a Wolf Fuller. That's the main thing in sports, man, overpay, overpay, overpay. So, if the Texans lose Wolf Fuller, maybe th- what, what what are they going to do? What what hope is there to sell Deshaun Watson and him staying? They don't have a first round draft wh- uh, pick this season, nor a second round draft pick. They belong to Miami because Bill O'Brien in all of his wonderful wisdom traded both of those draft picks for Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills. Great. Wonderful. They need immediate improvements at the wide receiver position, the linebacker position. Oh, and I forgot to mention the Texans were one of the worst defensive teams in the, uh, in the NFL. Their worst season since 2010. They ranked 30th out of 32 teams in average yards allowed and were 27th in points, uh, allowed per game. That's what you gotta be, that's what you're gonna be bringing to Deshaun, huh? That's gonna get Deshaun to be like, hey, yeah, all right, sure. Hey, the defense gave up 29. That's okay. I can score 42 every game. Yeah. <laughs> Woo-hoo. There you go. So I don't, I don't even know what the plan is. I don't need to know what the plan is i'm not an employee of the houston texas my title is not to know what the plan is for the houston texas but it would sure be nice if somebody in that organization with some clout could come up there and say this is what we have to offer deshaun watson if casario Easter, be somebody can get up there and be like this is how we're going to convince deshaun watson That he uh, needs to stay. We've got a strong organization. We've got this. We've got that. We've got this plan. We've got that plan. David Cullen is the perfect coach. We've got the quarterback coach. That's going to be a godsend for him. Something. Anything. Anything. So, after seeing this, first I'm going to say, this is Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad to be with us. So, let me ask you. When is Deshaun going to have to go public with this? When is Deshaun going to have to be even more the bad guy? When is he going to go to the Houston Texans fans and explain, look, I'm going to tell you all face to face, face to camera. I'm out. I'm done. I'm through. I don't know if it's going to be Jack McLean. I don't know where he can go to tell his story on why he wants to get out of Houston, but he needs to go and he needs to do something because we haven't heard anything from him yet. He hasn't made any type of statement publicly about wanting to be traded. Now, we're going on the assumption, people around them, this is what we hear, this, that, and the other, that he's done, and there's evidence that he's done. Deshaun needs to come out and say it himself. Hey, man, when you're in love with a female, just because she doesn't return your texts or your calls or anything like that, in your mind, that doesn't mean that y'all are broken up. Even though she's evasive when you talk to her and she's like, oh, yeah, I got to go. Even though when you finally get her on the phone and ask her what she's doing, she's like, nothing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, look, I I gotta go, okay? I'll uh, I'll call you back later. Even though she says all those things, if you're madly in love with this woman, I know from experience, if you're madly in love with this woman, until she tells you, look, man, you know, the ride was fun, the sex, eh, but it's time for me to move on. You know, I'm done with this relationship, this, that, and the other. And after the, please, baby, please, don't leave. Please, baby, I love you. Please, what can I do? What can I do that's better? What can I do to change anything? I need to have your back. I can't live without you. <laughs> after you get over all that shit, it's like, well, at least she told me. I <laughs> mean, you know, at least, at least, you know, it's, it's fatal complete. you know? That's what Deshaun Watson needs to do. I mean, maybe these guys are like, he, he hasn't actually come out and said that he wants to be traded. We got this person speaking. We got that person speaking. Okay, he unfollowed. Houston on their social media. Fine. But he has not come out and said, I want to be traded. And until he comes out and says publicly he wants to be traded, I see him say that he wants to be traded from the Houston Texans and he will not play with the Houston Texans under any circumstance. I'm still believing that he's somehow, some way, going to be a Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson needs to come out and say, look, the breakup is legit it's official, it's over, I'm done, I'm over this relationship. It's it. That's on. And I know what the fan reaction is going to be. Or a decent amount of what the fan reaction is going to be for the fan base of uh, the Texans NFL football community. Oh, yeah, great. Another spoiled, rich, out-of-touch, crybaby athlete. Doesn't realize how great he has it. Shut up and throw the football. You ingrate. You... You just horrible, terrible person. You, you signed a contract. We're giving you forty fucking million dollars, man. That's right. We're in Houston. We're giving you forty million dollars, forty damn million dollars to play a game of football. You didn't even go to University of Texas. Now you come down here. You come down here to this community, and you're gonna go up here and you're gonna turn your back on us. Heaven sakes alive. Joke G hosts the fast. I can't believe that boy would do something like that. Don't you know? Deshaun, you're playing the ball you can't play the child's game, Deshaun. A child's game, boy. You know you ain't supposed to be doing that type of stuff. These these athletes. You know, you get these rich, spoiled athletes. They oh, all they damn care about it themselves. How much money am I gonna get paid? And as soon as the getting doesn't get good no more, let me hightail them run somewhere else. I tell you, these folks out here. Unbelievable. Well, if Trump would have won, they wouldn't have had this problem. So it's a situation like that down there. Sorry for my bad impersonation of a Houstonian, but had to go there. It makes me feel better. Um, So, yeah, he's got to get out and he's got to say those things. And then I don't don't know if this is the Texans organization looking for a way to be the good guys in this drama. Because, you know, we're with the fan base, man. We got to keep them. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, you'll have... Some of the folks who we yeah, have spoiled, rich, this, that, and the other. And they'll also be the civilized, understandable ones who are like, yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> this, this sucks. This team sucks. We're going nowhere. We have, we're not winning without you. We, we need to start again. We're wasting the best of your years. You've done a lot for the community. You did as much as we could have asked and more. You know, it sucks. It's horrible. I wish there was a way, but Deshaun, I understand your point, man. You know, no love lost for you in that situation, you know? So, maybe that's what he needs to do. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with, with us. When will the discussion, here we go. This is on a national level, speaking about my community. When will this discussion turn into something racial? Because there's already been some noise made about the Texans organization, Accommodating JJ Watt. You know, they could have traded the guy. They could have screwed him that way. But oh no, they bent been over backwards to make sure that, you know, JJ was uh, given the best situation. You can do that for JJ Watt, but you can't do that for Deshaun Watson. Hmm, I wonder why. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Don't, n- n- not this time. Not this time. Not this time. Totally different situations. Totally different situations. Deshaun is a much bigger asset than J.J. Watt. Much bigger asset. I mean, letting J.J. Watt go, uh, there was too many positives along with the negatives. 30-something years old, $17.5 million. Yeah, you could have restructured, but still. You know, J.J. has been a loyal trooper. He doesn't have 10, 11, 12 years left in him. And he's a defensive end. He plays a defensive line. He's not a quarterback. So in this regard, regarding J.J. Watt and their treatment of uh, him compared to Deshaun Watson, not going to race on this one, not going black-white on this one, nope, not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. In this, in this example, race did not play a major role, very little, I believe. I don't, I don't believe that Easterby and Casario are like, well, eh. You know what? Let J.J. Watt go and give him everything he's got because he's white. What are we going to do with Watson? Nah, nah, keep that black boy right where he's at. No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that was the case. Don't think that was the case at all. Now, how this is going to transpire, you know that this discussion is not going to go away. Is it worth keeping an, an eye open for? Sure, absolutely. What country do we live in? Of course, we need to have our antennas up and our ears open, and our eyes open. But um, I don't think, I don't think this. I don't think race is going to be playing. Uh, it's going to be playing a major role in this drama as the Deshaun Watson and Houston Texans turn. I just don't. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So potential teams and offers mentioned as trade partners for Deshaun has been confirmed by sources that uh, Deshaun would prefer trades, would approve trades to the Jets the Dolphins, and the Panthers. Mm. I'll take a look at those teams, man. Maybe except for the Dolphins. I mean, <laughs> the Jets, a trade proposal. Peter King threw this out where, yeah, the Texans would get quarterback Sam Darnold, defensive lineman Quinn uh, Williams, first-round pick in 2021, which is the second overall in 2022, the higher of um, New York's two first-round picks, plus second-round pick in 2021, which is the 34 overall, 34th overall, and then the 2023 in exchange for Watson. If I'm if if Zach Wilson is supposed to be the second coming of the poor man's uh, Patrick Mahomes, if you're the uh, Texans, why don't you make that deal? What's stopping you from making that deal? If, but if I'm Deshaun Watson, it's, it's interesting. I know that he um, he's impressed with the head coach, the new head coach of the Jets, Robert Sala. But, man, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm taking a look at the uh, New York Jets, and I'm like, man, I don't know. You're going to uh, gut the entire organization to bring me in? I mean, won't I just be in the same situation I, I'm in right now with the Texans? I'm a great player surrounded by nothing. How much better is the Jets organization compared to the Texans? I mean, they're just another dysfunctional organi- organization that will give away the, any building blocks for the next five years with a much harsher fan base. The New York Jets organization, they can be called the Houston Texans of the Northeast, Northeast in terms of their franchise competence. Really, they gave Adam Gates a job. Need I say more? I do? Well, too bad. The, it's just interesting that Deshaun would say, yeah, I think so. And especially, again, where's Joe Douglas going to go in terms of rebuilding the franchise if you're going to be giving all of your building blocks to Houston for Deshaun Watson? There's no... uh, Robbie Anderson's going to be... Anderson's going to be your guy for Deshaun to throw to? Who are you going to hand the ball off to? Frank Gore? What's what's going on here? So, and if you're Houston, again, I don't know why you don't make the deal because with the second pick in the draft, there's a lot of different ways Houston can play this. They could decide to keep Darnold and get the second best player in the draft. They can make a play for Zach Wilson, of uh, you know, the Patrick Mahomes Jr., Zach Wilson, uh, with the number two pick. They could move that pick for more draft capital this year and beyond, especially with Texans. You know that the free agents of any importance is not going to be flocking to their organization unless they grossly overpay for them. So, sounds pretty good to me. But for Deshaun, I'm like, really? You want to go to the Jets? Huh? You wouldn't mind going to the Jets? Interesting. Have you heard the trade proposal if you do go to the Jets? You uh, you sure you still want to do that? And for the Texans, look, hey, you know, we're still in the beginning process of the draft, but, man, that sounds like a pretty nice deal if you're the Houston Texans. San Francisco 49ers. Peter King proposed a trade where the 49ers would send their first-round pick in 2021 and 2022, a second-round pick in 2021, a third-round pick in 2022. Quarterback Jimmy G., Um, who would have to waive his no-trade clause in the contract, right tackle Mitch uh, McGinchy, and one other player who would be extremely difficult to a trade, but they would have to do it to get Deshaun Watson, Fred Warner, the linebacker. If you're the 49ers, do you make that play? One thing about it is a couple of those players, they're playing right now on their rookie contracts, especially Warner. So Warner is playing on his rookie contract, and the thought is that that Look, after the next season, he's going to be asking for a big pay raise. And there's some um, there's some thought that the 49ers might not be able to sign him. So in the philosophy of Bill Belichick, you trade a player like that one year early before either you can't trade him at all or you trade him one year too late. So if you do have a situation where Uh, McGlinchey and Warner are going to be free agents after next season and you're not going to be able to keep both or uh, keep both of them, then why not trade for Deshaun Watson? So if you're Deshaun Watson, again, who are you going to be throwing the ball to? Now in Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, we trust, but boy, Houston, and rightfully so, is asking for a lot of capital in terms of trading Deshaun Watson, which in my estimation, I think when everything is all said and done from a from a uh, who won the trade situation or who's gonna be coming better coming off better in this situation no matter who they deal with whether it's the Houstons dealing with Carolina or dealing with Denver or dealing with San Francisco or dealing with any of those guys I think what they're asking for if they can pull that off I think Houston comes out much more ahead than uh, whatever team gets to Sean Watson. If we're speaking about giving away multiple first-round picks over multiple years and a player of consequence, and we're speaking about multiple draft picks, how is that not uh, an advantage for the Houston Texans when with Deshaun Watson last year, they were 4-12? and 12? So, yeah. You, like, for instance, I, I go back once again to the New York Jets. You get the uh, number two pick in the draft. You get Patrick Mahomes Jr. on your team or a quarterback that you can build around while you're building that team around uh, him. And the situation where you're going to have multiple picks to deal that to do that over the next couple of years, high uh, first and second round picks. Why not? The last team that I want to mention, the Atlanta Falcons. Excuse me, not the Atlanta Falcons, the uh, Carolina Panthers. They're a team that's trying to go ahead and do everything to get Deshaun Watson. Reasons obvious. He's Deshaun Watson. You have an owner, David Tepper, who's looking to make a splash. Making to make some, looking to make some noise. If the Texans did trade Watson to um, Carolina, he would be out of the AFC. And if Deshaun was a member of the Carolina Panthers, that means that uh, Houston wouldn't have to play Carolina until the 2027 regular season because of scheduling. And you take a look. Look, now it would include Kristen McCaffrey, Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson, a first and second round pick in 2021, third round picks in 2023 in exchange for Deshaun. But take a look at this. If you're the Carolina Panthers, this is also something that you need to uh, recognize. Take a, take a look at the quarterback situation in the NFC South. Okay, Tom Brady is in Tampa, but guess what? He's not playing forever. And he's no longer the consistent top 8-10 to 10 quarterback in the league. You take a look at the New Orleans Saints. What are they going to do if Drew Brees uh, retires, which he's expected to do? Are they going to go ahead and re-sign Jameis Winston? Taysom Hill's going to be your quarterback? Tim Tebow, 2.0? What's Atlanta going to do? Matt Ryan is 36 years old, and I would say this is the, in a realistic situation, this is going to be the last year that he's going to be a starting quarterback for that team. Of course, depending upon who the uh, Falcons draft, they might even um, expedite that the situation. So, if you're the Carolina Panthers, you take a look at that quarterback quandary that's in the NFC South, and you say, man, we could have the best quarterback in that division, in our uh, division, for the next 10 to 12 years. So, there you go. And, of course, you have Miami. Are they going to go ahead and get rid of uh, Tua tunga Bailoa? Interesting. Interesting. Deshaun... We know one thing. Deshaun's not going to be... It's not going to a Tom Brady-type situation if he's traded to the Jets or Carolina or even Miami. Those teams, even with Deshaun right now, are not ready to win championships. And remember, Tom Brady went to that squad, the Buccaneers, as a free agent. So the Buccaneers didn't have to give up any player of consequence offensively or defensively to uh, get Brady. If the Jets or Dolphins or 49ers or... Panthers or Vikings or anybody who wants to be in this Deshaun Watson sweet stakes if they want to get this guy, they're going to have to give give up something and they're going to have to give up a lot. So that's the deal. But I, I think when everything is all said and done, man, when everything is all said and done and Deshaun Watson is going to be traded, I think the winner in the early stages of this trade is going to be without question the Houston Texans. Well, I'm the jibber, dabber, chore like shabber, ranks making banks operating like trapper, John, M.D., yeah, that's what folks tell me, I plan on going far and be a star like Marcus, where well, we so there, there, uh-huh, soup, though, yes, I mix the buckets scores and rockets like menudo, or judo, I gets it, I throws them when I gamble, and when I swings my thing, I take a swing like Mickey Mantle, but, um, I got more flavors in a pack of now. hour, am I my Wendell's world is sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast. We're still talking about Tiger Woods. Um, the Georgetown Hoyas basketball program, the season of overachievement continues. They've won four of the last six games before tonight's game against Connecticut. I am recording this before the game starts, so I can only go on, you know, the fact that, you know, my Georgetown Hoyas are again overachieving, fantastic, wonderful, awesome. Don't know what they're going to do against the uh, Connecticut Huskies, new members, old members of the Big East, but this past weekend, my Hoyas beat Seton Hall 81-75 and in the four-game losing streak to them. Five players in double figures, and one of them, but not Javon Blair, who only scored three points on one of six shooting. I think that if you would have said, hey, you know what? Javon Blair is going to score only, six, uh, going to score only three points. You probably would have said, well, that's probably me, that Georgetown lost by 25, but new. No. Jamarco Pickett scored 20 points, uh, six of nine from the field, two of two from the three-point line, had seven rebounds. Chudier Bile, the Chudier Bile experience continues. Let me tell you something, man. If you're a guy or you're a gal, if you're a human being, if you're a mammal that needs drugs to give you like a, a like a high and a high and a low and a low and you know like a, a emotional you know roller coaster type of experience, become a fan of the Georgetown Hoyas and watch 2DA Beale play. I mean, it's it's a bigger trip than LSD, baby. Not that I've tried LSD, but you know. It's it's just it's just ugh. from moment to moment. Every time he gets the basketball on the front court and he puts his head down, all you want to do is say, No! That's all I all I do when he catches the ball and it's like he's got a little twitch. He's got a little twinkle in his eye. A little pep to his step. I'm like, no, 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 no. Pass it, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass it. Pass it. That's what it is with Chudier. But uh, he played well. 16 points. 6-12 shooting overall. 3-4 from the three-point line. Believe me, all four of the three-point shots. No, no! And I'll be saying that again in a couple of hours when Georgetown's playing. And Chudier get the ball. No, 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 no! So, he scored uh, 16. He had a good, uh, had a good uh, offensive game. Cutis had a double-double. 11 points, 11 rebounds, 3 block shots, and... News flash, This is something that you don't see every time Georgetown plays. He actually caught the ball. He actually passed the ball out of the post. That never happens with that guy, but it happened uh, against Seton Hall. So there you go. So despite five turnovers, I think Dante Harris had one of his best games for him as a, uh, this season in his freshman season. 14 points, eight assists, seven rebounds. Not great far shooting percentage is concerned, but the tempo of the game, the way that he played defense. Um, did really well. He did really well. Don Carey saved a game for by Georgetown Hoyas, converted two four-point plays in the second half. The second four-point play broke a 67-67 uh, tie around the four-minute mark. That was uh like woohoo! So Georgetown improved to seven and ten overall, five to seven in the conference. All five starters played over 30 minutes. Blair played 39, despite only having three points. Harris, 37 minutes, Pickett, 34, Chudier, Mr. Bile uh, played 32, and Cutis uh, played 30. The reserves played three minutes, which was Jabari Sibley, Timothy Ego-Hefe played nine, and Don Carey played 16. So I'm, I'm thinking Berger and Kobe Clark didn't play at all, which I guess is going to be the norm for the rest of the season um sibley's gonna get minuscule minutes burger clark isn't aren't, aren't gonna play at all so i don't know what's going on with colin holloway um he wasn't even in the rotation even if i wanted the um, freshman to get more run during the season so it looks like that's the way coach ewing is going to uh, set his rotation so look, if Georgetown is going to... By the way, Aminu Muhammad made the uh, McDonald's All-Star Game. Congratulations, young man. But Georgetown's coming in with this great class, right? He's got Tyler Beard, he's got Jagan Billingsley, he's got uh, Jordan Riley and Aminu Muhammad. So we, he's got those guys coming in. I think I'm missing somebody. Who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. But whatever, they got a great class coming in. But for them to reach fans expectations if none of the seniors come back if belay and um if if belay and pickett and blair don't come back and we roll in next season ryan matombo's the other guy my goodness gracious i'm sorry ryan but if those guys though that that freshman class starting five come in and we're gonna have to rely on kobe clark and jabari sibley and um T.J. Berger, we're not making the NCAA tournament. We'll make the NIT tournament. We ain't going to make the NCAA tournament. Or we'll, we'll be right on the bubble. But that, that it's not a, a sure thing. So I'm thinking to myself are we going to have, have to ask one of the uh, seniors this season to uh, come back for another year? Because the NCAA, because of what's going on with COVID, has granted uh, uh, each senior or the seniors an opportunity to come pl- come back and play another year. So if the Hoyas really want to uh, improve their chances greatly of making the tournament, Ewing's going to have to ask some of these guys to come back. Because, I'm sorry, y- you don't go from the season that we're having where we're probably going to finish eight and 12 or seven or nine and 10 or something like that. You, you don't go from being under 500 to all of a sudden making the NCAA tournament as great as our recruiting class is. It's not something to where you, you're going to have, you know, in that five man recruiting class, three or four of those guys aren't lottery picks, aren't one and duns aren't immediate NBA players or not even immediate starters, Tyler Beard, I don't think, it's going to start for us next season. Aminu is. I don't know what Ryan Matambo is. I don't think uh, G- Jayden Bil- Billingsley is. I don't know what Jordan Riley is. None of these guys, except for Aminu, is penciled in to pretty much be the favorite in terms of us being in the starting lineup. So if Bele and Blair and Pickett leave and Carey, who has one more year of eligibility left, he decides to go on somewhere else, if we're going to have to depend on Jabari Sibley, TJ Berger, Kobe Clark, Timothy Eagle Hefe, and five freshmen in a mix with Cutis and Dante, I-, I, have my, I have my concerns about Georgetown being a heavy favorite to be in the NCAA tournament. They'll be much better. And this is not doubting Coach Ewing's uh, coaching prowess, but it- it's hard to make that jump. From being a team that one year goes from being under 500, all of a sudden being a lock or being a pretty uh, good contender to make the NCAA tournament, even with the recruiting class that we're bringing in. So, I I mean, I'm taking a look at this. I'm taking a look at this situation and I'm asking if I was going to ask somebody to come back who's playing, who's a senior this year. And come back and play one more season for us? Man, I hate to say this. I hate to admit this. But I think it's going to be b I think it's going to be Chudier. Because maybe Blair, because we're going to need some outside shooting. But, I mean, Blair, is he going to be able to blend in? I mean, I don't want Blair coming back next season and having to play 38, 39, 40 minutes a game again. I mean, pretty soon we got to see if these guys can play. T.J., Kobe, Clark. I mean, they're going to be sophomore ne- sophomores next year. And we're going to have Javon Blair, a fifth-year senior, senior, out there playing another 39, averaging 38, 39 minutes a game with the um, same responsibility that he has this season. No, man, I want to see some of the young cats. I want to see Jordan Riley. I want to see uh, Tyler Beard. I want to see T.J. Berker. I want to see Kobe Clark. I want to see these guys play. And they're not going to be able to play if – Javon Blair is going to be out there coming back. And again, yeah, I I understand that he adds the element of being the outside shooter, being the three-point shooter. But man, he's a career mid-30 to low 30% three-point shooter. He's a guy that throughout his career is a 30-something percent shooter overall. It's not going to improve from his senior year to his post-grad year playing for Georgetown. He is what he is. Same thing with Jamarco. I mentioned before. I think the only guy we could just calm him down just a little bit. We're going to need somebody from the front court position that's going to be able to score, that's going to be able to get his own shot, that's going to be able to create a shot, that's going to be able to create for others. Bele is really bad at doing that, but he's the only guy we've got. I don't think Jabari Sibley can do that, and Jordan's uh, Jaden Big- Billingsley is not going to be able to do that. So we're going to have to have somebody, Kobe Clark, I don't think is going to step up enough to be that guy for a team that's going to be fighting for an NCAA tournament berth. So we we don't have anybody to fill that role for next season. Maybe Minu, but he's 6'4", 6'5", 6'3", depending upon uh, who you ask and depending upon where you look. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess if everything is all said and done, man, fuck it. Bring back b Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let me end with this special dedication. As I mentioned before, 56 years ago on February 21st, the greatest of them all, the greatest of the greatest, Malcolm X was assassinated at the Audubon Ballroom in New York City. He was murdered by the Nation of Islam with the full compliance of Louis Farrakhan. And also the not honorable Elijah Pool, A.K.A. Elijah Muhammad, he was uh, assassinated by a bunch of thugs. He was assassinated by a cult. He was taken out by a bunch of goons. He was taken out by a bunch of um, of uh, Judas. That's what uh, that's what happened to Malcolm, and uh, what he had, what he could offer, was was taken away, and it has hurt the uh, country. It has hurt the community. Sometimes I would love to think if Malcolm and Martin were here today, or, or in fact, if Malcolm and Martin and Medgar and others who sacrificed their lives for the betterment of us. I wonder if those guys are up in heaven and sometimes the way our community acts. I wonder if those guys look at each other and say, we died for that. <laughs> we, 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 we left our children fatherless and our wives uh, husbandless for that bullshit for this jackass who's, who's, who's sagging pants for these jackasses who are going to shoot each other over a color over over the color of their uh of their garment really that's what we went out for that's what we gave our lives for jeez man uh, Martin's like I could have been the president of the Morehouse kicking it rich as a mug you know Malcolm could have been doing some other stuff all these things, but they sacrifice their lives for the betterment of ours. It's up to my community to go ahead and uh, improve themselves in so many ways, in so many ways. And the wounds and the ills and the defects of our community, yes, it's come with the, um, it's come with oppression. It's come with discrimination. It's come with unfair and unequal. It's come from centuries of playing on a playing field that uh, isn't fair, that isn't balanced, that doesn't give us a fair opportunity. All of those things duly noted. All of those things play a role. All of those things without question. You you saw how the other side of the tracks, you saw how those guys lost their fucking minds. When Heaven Sakes Alive, you had to go ahead and wear a mask to uh, protect yourself and protect others. We, we saw the reaction from those folks. We we saw, they gave us a glimpse of uh, how, um, how ill-prepared they would be if they had to switch places with us. If those on the other side of the track, those on the other side of the block, those on the other side of the street, those across the town had to put up with the same bullshit that black folks, brown folks, had to pull up with every single fucking day just because of the color of their skin, you saw this summer how them fucking jackasses reacted. You saw how they reacted when they were fed a lie by a bullshitter about the elections. You saw how much they lost their fucking minds over some bullshit like that. Let a couple of generations go by where they have to deal deal with the same shit that we have to deal with every single fucking day. So this is not to say that it's easy for some of the ills and some of the um, weaknesses of our community to be fixed by just trying a little bit harder or just saying no or be a man and step up or, you know, maybe every once in a while close your legs. So I don't know, maybe you can maybe not get pregnant by someone you don't know. All of those things are, you know, easier said than done. It's going to take a whole lot, but it's also some of the blame on where we stand as a community. It's also, we also have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, look, we have uh, done some things for our community to uh, keep us to where we are right now, to keep us in a position where we are right now. And as human beings, what are we going to do? As a community, what are we going to do? Not as a monolithic community or not as a monolithic group. Because not everyone's situation and solution is the same. And there's not one way to do this. So for you to bring me a certain situation concerning your life to make your community better where you're staying might be something completely different from what my suggestion would be and where I'm staying, what my place in life is concerning the Black community. And neither one of those perspectives could be wrong. Neither one of those perspectives could could be right but we have to sit we have to uh do some soul searching and we have to uh make a plan politically economically and uh we start with that and i think that's the way that we can honor the uh, legacy of not just uh, malcolm x but those and not just those in the civil rights movement and not just those who uh You know, we're marching and doing all those type of things. We're talking about those who were brought over as slaves against their will and put on uh, and and, and were treated uh, less than humans. Goes back centuries. So we have to uh, honor, we have to respect, and we have to pay homage just to those folks. But uh, the great Malcolm X has always been with me. His teachings, his words, his thoughts have always been something that has influenced me, inspired me. And as a grown man going into older age, it will stay with me until I take my last breath on this earth. So, a moment to remember. February 21st, 1965. Black folks killed Malcolm X. J. Edgar Hoover might have had a plan. Might have assisted. Government and white folks might have uh, played a small role. But the Nation of Islam killed Malcolm X. And the fact that that piece of shit who actually killed Malcolm X is allowed to live in New Jersey, black folks know that he's living in New Jersey, black folks know who he is, and the fact that they haven't taken that fucking piece of shit out is uh, disgraceful. And the fact that Farrakhan still has a voice and black folks are still dumb enough and brainwashed to be listening to that piece of shit, spew his hatred, spew his ignorance, spew his stupidity, Yeah, this motherfucker's gonna go down to the poor communities and talk about what they need to do and what we need to do. Then he's gonna get back into his car and go back to the rich side of town where all the Jewish folks live in Chicago. Fuck him. The same Jewish folks which he uh, demonizes. Fuck him. Fuck him. I'm happy that Limbaugh died the other day. Let's hope that um, Farrakhan, never mind. But you get my drift. So there you go. The greatness of Malcolm X. God bless you, my man. God bless you. All right, I'm done. That's it. I'm out of here. Georgetown tonight. I'll be back in a few more days with another rip-roaring, entertaining, unique podcast. Check me out on iTunes, Spotify, any place that you're uh, listening to podcasts. I'm worthy to listen to, man. And ladies, and sons, and daughters, and uncles, and relatives, and neighbors, and teachers, and firemen, and policemen, and officers, and everything like that. Music!